It's a golden era of MotoGP and is the best about to get even better. Let battle commence. Welcome to Bike Live. Let's go! Yes, this is episode 49 of Bike Live here on Motorsport 101 as we preview the MotoGP season, which is just one week away. It gets underway under the lights in Qatar next weekend. Uh, we're here for the next couple of hours to preview it rider by rider uh, to give you the full rundown on the upcoming season. We'll cover all of the winter tests and tell you just how good each rider is looking ahead of this upcoming season. As I mentioned in the intro, it's a golden era of MotoGP racing, which just keeps getting better and better after an incredible season in 2016, which saw nine different winners. We saw a sensational 2017, which saw the title race go right to the wire in Valencia as Marc Marquez took his sixth world title. This season, though, the absolutely incredible cast of riders um, reads like this. There are 12 Grand Prix world champions on the grid this season. That's exactly half the field. On the field, we as well, we have a grand total of 21 Grand Prix winners. That's all bar three. And they have added up to a total of 461 Grand Prix race victories between the lot of them. That is why, exactly why we tell you this is a golden era of MotoGP. We are looking at the excitement is high ahead of this brand new season. Uh, and joining me for the next couple of hours to look ahead to it is Andre Harrison. I mean, Dre, uh, MotoGP just seems to have a great habit of outdoing itself year on year ever since that incredible 2015 where Valentino Rossi and Jorge Lorenzo went all the way to the wire each season that has followed it has really been better than the one that preceded it MotoGP can it even go on better this year and get better again I don't know it's just gonna have to go some to get there because uh man like last season was was utterly incredible like half a dozen classic races a title fight that went down to the wire, surprises up and down the field, an outstanding rookie, um, a new team really back at the forefront in Ducati. You know, the the the, the rise and fall and rise again of Valentino Rossi in his right leg. Um, it's There was stories up and down the field. It was an incredible season. I, I don't even know how we're even going to try and top that next year. Maybe a new Marquez handicap rule might help for the field. But... Um, um, until that day comes, let's break down this season, and uh, you know, hopefully, we will we will try to uh, instill even more excitement into what should be a, a season that really sells itself at the moment. Yeah, yeah, we really can't wait for this one. As I mentioned, half of the field that line up this season have won a MotoGP, Moto2, Moto3, 250 or 125 title, um, and that doesn't even include Cal Crutchlow, who's won a World Supersport title, Daniela Petrucci, who's won a Superstock Thousand title, and several others who have been runner-up in one or two of the classes. Uh, on their way up to MotoGP. Uh, and as I mentioned, Dre, 21 out of the 24 riders on the grid this year have won a Grand Prix in one of the three classes. Do you want to hazard a guess who the three that haven't are? Oh, God. So the three that haven't won a Grand Prix in any class, that would be... God, I'm like, even Xavier Simeon's won a race. Mm. Jesus. Um, let me run my head down the field here. Uh... A fee siren, I'm guessing, is one. Siren hasn't, and he's a MotoGP rookie this year. Does have Moto2 podiums, though. Indeed, so that's one. Think, Dre, think. Don't be an idiot here. Well, obviously, is one. Was one. Thomas Luti, obviously, is one races. Carol Abraham won a Moto2 race in 2010. Um, this, is, this is a bit embarrassing here, <laughs> listeners. 
<laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll put you out of your misery on that. Uh, one of them has had a MotoGP pole position, um, but not a victory. Alicia Spargaro has never won a Grand Prix, um, although he has had Moto2 podiums. And the other one, um, partly because he's not come through the traditional Grand Prix ladder, is Danilo Petrucci. Um, who, has had, who has had five yeah. MotoGP rostrums but yet to win a race. Of course, he came very close on a couple of occasions uh, last year. But that tells us, Dre, doesn't it, just how strong the field is this year, that those are the only three that haven't won Grand Prix. And even those three could win any Grand Prix if they liked, if they had the bike underneath them. And Petrucci very nearly has one. Yeah, Petrucci had three golden chances to win Grand Prix last season alone, um, which is incredible to say the least. Alicia Spagaro has had... I think the quality to be able to win races for some time on the right machinery, but he's, that that chance has never really fell to him um, per se. Uh, yeah, like I said, it's it, there's only three missing. There. Siren, if the rain came down, you never quite knew with Siren. He was another guy that went. Yeah, he was a fantastic rain specialist. So. Yeah, 21 out of 24 is a pretty fantastic hit rate, and the three guys have pretty much got asterisks next to them because they've had success in their own right. It's another series for the most part. So it's it's a truly incredible lineup. I, I, I eagerly look forward to the inevitable 2018 rider intro segment where they just. <laughs> yeah. like, I, I, remember, I remember on the video games, the other one for 20, it was 2014, and they just flashed up all the titles that these guys had won. And my favorite moment was when Valentino Rossi comes in, and there's like nine on either side, and it's yeah. ridiculous. And it's like. Yeah, I think Rossi's won a lot. It's it, um, so yeah, it's uh, they've been hype. They've, they've been hyping up MotoGP. Have been very self-aware that their grids have gotten better and better as years have gone by. And um, yeah, this might be the best yet again. That the, the, the young riders that are coming through are absolutely exceptional. Yeah, we're gonna break it down then, rider by rider, team by team, um, over the course of the next two hours. But before that, let's get the housekeeping out of the way and tell us. The places you can find us, starting on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. Uh, on Twitter, we are at motorsport underscore 101. Uh, on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. Uh, our latest Google Hangout is still available for you to watch from Dre last weekend. Um, we are also uh, our website, motorsport101.net. If you want to find back issues of all of our podcasts, and there are a few of them to tell you about, which we'll tell you about in a second, um, head to motorsport101.net and to our SoundCloud page. Um, and if you want to back us financially, earn yourself early access um, to both of our weekly shows, uh, it's patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. $5 backing as you early access to Bike Live and to the Motorsport 101 podcast, which has um, doubled up this week. Um, with two new episodes. One of them hasn't been finished yet, but by the time you listen to this, it will have been, because you'll have listened to yes. it no doubt already. Um, but for those that haven't, Dre, let's tell them what they can listen to. Um, episode 124, first of all, a big bumper IndyCar season preview, because that gets underway this very weekend. Indeed it does. Um, yeah, me, Lewis, sorry, no, sorry to say, me, RJ, King, and brand new guest, um, Christoph Dahle as well, which was a very, very fun time. Two and a quarter hours breaking down the massive IndyCar field for 2018-23 full-time hits underway in Petersburg this weekend. If you guys are in the UK, keep an eye on BT Sport for a little bit more on that. They might have it on there. Um, I'm not 100% sure on that one. But in the meantime, yeah, a, a massive, massive season preview, breaking down, bringing it down all team by team, the new calendars, the new aero kits. It's a fun time indeed. So check, check it out if you haven't already. Episode 125 will be out by the time this podcast goes out as well. So two episodes. I hope you enjoy them. Yeah, episode 125 with special guest Hazel Southwell. All the all the fallout for the Mexico City E-Prix um, and the Formula 1 tests, which are ongoing. Um, we're not going to mention it because Dre is trying to keep his expectations very much 
under control. Um, We're not doing this again. <laughs> but uh, just to um, just to finish off on what Dre said there, just to confirm for all of you that were concerned, perhaps, because um, BT Sport are a bit sketchy. According to my uh, EPG, BT Sport ESPN um, will have live coverage of the IndyCar on Sunday afternoon. Um, so you will be able to watch that. Um, of course, BT Sport, one week after that, will have the opening weekend of the MotoGP season, which takes place under the lights in Qatar. Um, let's first of all, though, tell you how last season finished. Mark Marquez, the world champion in that dramatic and tense finale in Valencia as he rolled a big six with one of the great saves of all time. Uh, he won the title in the end by a slightly flattering margin, it might be fair to say, of 37 points over the gallant Andrea Davizioso, who finished runner-up for Ducati. Maverick Vinales, in his first season with Yamaha, finished the season third ahead of Danny Pedrosa, who won the final round of the season to take fourth from Valentino Rossi, who missed a couple of races um, through injury. Joan Zarco, top rookie and top independent last year. Can he go even better than that this year? He was sixth last year, ahead of Ducati's newcomer, Jorge Lorenzo, who will this year be heading into his second season with the team. Danilo Petrucci was eighth overall, ahead of Cal Crutchlow. And Jonas Folger, who won't be on the field this year due to illness, will tell you all about that later on when we talk about his former team, Monster Yamaha Tech 3. Honda won the Manufacturers' Championship by 36 points from Yamaha, who pipped Ducati to second. Largely due to that double crash for Davizioso and Lorenzo in the final round of the season, which allowed Yamaha to pick them at the post. Uh, Ducati finished the year in third with Suzuki fourth, KTM the newcomers fifth, and Aprilia with the wooden spoon in sixth. And Repsol Honda completed the triple crown by winning the team's championship. They won it by sixty uh, by 70 points over Movistar Yamaha with Ducati in third, just ahead of Tech 3 with Pramac in fifth and Suzuki in sixth. All right then, for this season... Um, we have an extended calendar, 19 races this season, the biggest MotoGP calendar we've ever seen, uh, with one new venue, but it starts, as I mentioned, in Qatar on the 18th of March, that's next weekend, before the trip to Argentina, Tomas de Rio Hondo for round two on April the 8th, the Grand Prix of the Americas is on April the 22nd, before the first of the European rounds at Jerez in Spain, May the 6th, um, Le Mans hosts round five, uh, Magella round six, um, these races following on very, very similarly to last year. Um, with Mugello round six, Catalonia round seven on the newly relayed uh, Circuit de Barcelona Catalonia on June the 17th. The 1st of July sees the TT Assen, uh, the Dutch GP. Uh, the German Grand Prix takes us into the summer break on the 15th of July. That is the halfway point in the season. We reconvene at Bruno on August the 5th. That runs back to back with Austria, uh, which remains in mid-August. The British Grand Prix, for those of you uh, listening in the UK that want the date for your diary, it is on the August bank holiday weekend, August the 26th. Uh, the San Marino Grand Prix at Misano, 9th of September. The Grand Prix of Aragon is the penultimate European round on the 23rd of September before four flyaways across Asia and Pacific, starting with the brand new Thai Grand Prix at Buriram, which you'll have seen if you listen to us regularly, you'll have seen it host many a World Superbike round. It is now on the MotoGP calendar and has already earned rave reviews with the spectators flooding in for the pre-season test. Um, the three other flyaways remain as they were, all back-to-back -back with the Japanese Grand Prix on 21st of October, one week before the Australian Grand Prix at Phillip Island. One week after that, the 4th of November, it's the Malaysian Grand Prix, which for the first time ever will have a home rider to cheer for in the Premier Class of with Hafish Siren. And the season finishes on the 18th of November, as ever, at the circuit Ricardo Tomo in Valencia. A lot to happen, though, before we get there, um, and a lot to get through. So let's start with the team, which, unfortunately for them, finished bottom of both the Manufacturers and the Team's Championship last year. That is the Aprilia Racing Team, Grassini. 
Um, one rider changed for them. Alicia Spargo stays with the team, but they've traded in Sam Lowe's into Moto2 and replaced him with Scott Reddick um, for this year. They haven't had the easiest of pre-season build-ups, it's fair to say, with their um, 2018 spec engine and chassis not really um, getting fully integrated until the final test in Qatar uh, just last week. Um, but, Dre, let's start with their rider change that they've made, which had a lot of us talking throughout last year. Um, and I suppose the question that we have to ask is, um, we know what we're going to get with Scott Redding. Um, he, is a, right. he is a known quantity in this class. Um, the question really is, is Scott Redding going to be better than Sam Lowe's would have been with a year's MotoGP experience under his belt? I'm not sure. Like, this is what, year five for Scott Redding in the top class now? It's like, I think if, if Scott was going to break the glass ceiling, he'd have done it by now. And I, I think Scott, I think, I think you summed it up better than I could. I think he is a known quantity now in MotoGP. Um, and he, I don't think he's really delivered anywhere he's been in MotoGP since his rookie season when he was on that production Honda. Um, and he, he'd be shot above his weight so above his weight on that one there. And he's, he's not really been the same guy since. And I, I, it's, it's hard to get a read on Sam because it, it, it's, I think, a prettier had made their minds up on Sam very, very early on, like literally a handful of races in. I, 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 I don't believe like, like Sam Lowe's is, is, is temperamental, but the talent has always been there with Sam and he's has he before he moved up. He was winning multiple races in Moto2 and looked like, you know, he was the fastest man in the class on his day. I don't believe that talent just magically vanishes when you get into MotoGP um, and I believe he should have given a second chance and hey that might be coming later on mm, yeah it is a tricky one for, for uh, Prillian they've flattered to deceive really through the winter testing looking at Scott Redding's performances for example he's genuinely been at the bottom of the timesheets 23rd in the test at Sepang um, and that's out of well 24 regular Grand Prix riders he was beaten by a couple of the test riders Mika Kallio was quicker than him uh, on the KTM at Sepang um, in uh, Bororam in Thailand which only featured test uh, raced riders Scott Redding was 20th um, there were three rookies and Carol Abraham behind him um, and then in the final test that took place last week at LaSalle, Scott Redding was 22nd. Um, again, the only riders behind him were test riders and rookies. Um, so he hasn't really merged uh, or gelled with that bike very, very quickly, has he, Dre? And it's fair to say as well that as Sam Lowe's found out to his cost. He's up against a very, very strong teammate. Yeah, Alish is a fantastic team leader. He'll get in the best out of development, developing teams and developing bikes. That's become his reputation as the years have gone by as a guy that you know, is one of the truly great, you know, developers. And he was super strong last year. He had many an outstanding top seven, top eight result for, for what was statistically the worst team in the field last year. Um, Redding has hopped from team to team in the last few years. And he, he, as you say, the, the testing results show he has struggled to get used to this Aprilia so far. And again, that may not entirely be on Scott because we, 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 Aprilia's problems have been well documented over the last couple of years. But that's what Redding was signing up for. He knew that when he signed the dotted line, quite frankly. So he knows what he's got to do. He's going to get his head down and graft because he, he's, on, he's on a limited shelf life here. Um, this could be his last chance in Moto GP, so he needs to deliver this year. I'm surprised he even got this chance, to be honest with you. So, the fact he's in year five now, and the fact that you know this, this, he's been given a lifeline here by Aprilia, um, I really look forward to seeing what he can do. But this this could be the last chance saloon for Scott. Yeah, and in terms of the team, they've 
describe this bike which they launched um, yesterday as we recorded this. They launched this on Wednesday um, in Noali in Italy. Um, they've described it as an evolution of their, of their machine from last year. Um, but there are some radical changes to it. They've gone the same route as a lot of teams have, of course, with the dramatic aero fairings on the front of their bike, uh, which you'll notice um, when the bikes go out on track next week. Um, and Alessio Spargaro speaking ahead of the season. Um, first of all, he describes himself as a very positive guy. Uh, so inevitably, he's going to be optimistic about it. But he says that um, he expects them to be top eight or competing to be in the top eight um, in races starting this weekend. Now, he went very well in Qatar last year. So perhaps he wouldn't be at all surprising if he was towards the front in Qatar next weekend. Um, but I can't help but look at Aprilia and compare them to everyone else in the field and look at the top three manufacturers who I think are going to be well out of reach for them. Suzuki, who, as we'll talk about later, look better this year, and KTM, who are developing and spending their way up the order, I struggle to see where that Aprilia progress is going to come from. I struggle too. Like, where do they go from here? Like, everybody else around them has also improved. KTM made incredible progress, and and they finished ahead of them in the Constructors last year. That's probably no coincidence. Um, It's... Like, again, the big three probably are out of reach, as you say. Um, Suzuki look like a, a stronger team, and Alex Rins is getting better by the race, um, by the looks of it. Like, and then they've got that in, in, they've got that incredulous like midfield shuffle of like bikes, like the Angel Nieto team, the Avintia team, the Mark VDS team, the Pramac boys that are probably going to take up a lot of the minor points positions. So, like, I'm not sure where they're going to be a regular fixture, and I don't think it's going to be in the top 10 to 12 either. I think it's going to be in the lower end of the points because everybody around them is, is so good and a lot of them are on better proven machinery like GP16s and 17s which you know a lot of the midfield seem to specialise with so yeah pretty it may have improved but the goalposts have probably been moved again anyway which probably puts them back at the rear of the field so um, I'm not convinced on them as a team right now and it's probably going to take a lot of convincing me to change my mind otherwise yeah, me too. I think they're uh, they're going to find this find life very very difficult um, as the season goes on. They may well have the odd flash result um, with Alicia Spargo because he is capable of that. Um, but I think consistently over the season they're going to find themselves towards the back of the field. Um, who's likely to keep them company though um, as the season goes on? Next up is a Avintia, um, the Avinci Ducati team, um, which has two new riders for this season. Hector Barbara has dropped down to Moto Two. Um, so we'll talk about him next week on our Moto 2 and 3 preview. Um, and Loris Baz, as you all know, has gone to World Superbikes to join the Altea BMW team. The two riders they've brought in, Tito Rabat, former Moto 2 champion, of course, and former Mark VDS rider um, in Moto GP, and Xavier Simeon, who is a Moto 2 race winner, um, but by and large spent much of his Moto 2 career in the midfield towards the back of the Moto 2 field. Um, Let's start with Simeon then, who's the first of the five rookies on the MotoGP grid this year. Um, and inevitably, given how he found himself onto the grid, there were some who were sort of scoffing at him and um, almost mocking the fact that he'd earned himself a MotoGP ride and the reasons that he got it. Um, but he's shown, hasn't he, in testing so far, Dre, that he's certainly not completely out of it. I mean, he's towards the back of the field, but he's certainly not a fish out of water, is he? No, he's been right. He's been right down there with the, um, with the some of the other rookies and some of the other midfielders that are in MotoGP at the moment. He he's not like he's he's tailing off to the bottom of the field like an anchor. He's he's in the mix of those guys. He's been about a couple of seconds off the pace 
um, pretty much across the board in testing, and that's okay. Like, Avincia are not front runners; they're not going to be front runners. They've been probably the minnows of the, of the satellite Ducatis out there in MotoGP for the last couple of years, and he's a rookie like anybody else is, and you know, one that probably had the least amount of merit going into his position. So, the defense or the expectations really should be a little bit lower for him anyway. So. Um, yeah, Simeon looks like he's he looks, looks like he belongs, um, and that's about as good as you can say right now. I mean, that's fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong in that. Um, some guys do take a little bit longer to adapt, after all, but I think he's been fine for the most part. So, um, yeah, like reasons to be optimistic if you're in that Simeon camp. But it's not just going to be a waste of money because I think he's been fine so far. Yeah, because a lot of money has been spent spent by RTL, oh, as we yes. mentioned, the uh, Belgian broadcasters of MotoGP. Um, to get him into the field. Um, and just to back up Dre's point, in the Sepang test at the start of this uh, year in February, Simeon was 1.9 seconds off the outright fastest time of Jorge Lorenzo, which, by the way, was the fastest lap ever done on two wheels at that circuit. Um, so it's a pretty high bar that he's been measured against. Um, in the second test in Thailand, he was slightly further back. He was 2.2 seconds off um, of the fastest time, which was set there by Pedroza. And in Qatar... Um, he was once again 1.9 seconds off. It's just unfortunate for Simeon that 1.9 seconds off the field pretty much means you're last, given how competitive MotoGP is now. Um, but it might be a blessing for him that he's making his debut on that Ducati GP16. We've seen in recent years that it's pretty much the best all-round package for riders to get on with and learn with. Um, yes. So for him to be learning this trade on a Ducati, that's probably the best bike for him to be riding on in his first season on a MotoGP bike, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's been it's been very friendly to to rookies and and, and inexperienced riders alike. Um, it's it's had the reputation of being a bike that a lot of people can pick up and ride very easily. It's not a more technical machine like the Honda, um, and and you know they've, you've got a lot of data on it as well because a lot of bikes run GP seventeen, sixteens, fifteens. That that that's, that recent stretch of of Ducati, the Desmond Deshi GP bikes have been in and up and down the midfield pretty much all the way through um so yeah there's a like th there's a lot of data out in it already it's easy to learn from riders have given very positive feedback about how it's a very easy bike to learn from so if you're going to put Simeon in there you know in a, in a class that might be a little bit above what, what he normally bats with putting him on a gp16 is not a bad way to start because again it's a bike that a lot of people seem to like and a lot and a bike that a lot of people seem to learn very quickly from his teammate is tito rabat the former moto 2 champion um from 2014 um and he's another rider where we haven't really noticed him he's flown under the radar in pre-season testing but the more that you look at it the better it actually looks uh sepang he was 12th quickest 0.7 off the outright fastest time um, in Thailand, he was again 0.7 off the fastest time in 11th place. And in Qatar, he fell back a bit. Um, he was 19th, but he was only 1.4 off. Um, he's not going to be the first rider we say this about in this preseason preview, but is Rabat going to be one of those riders who's going to be very, very happy having traded in a Honda for a Ducati? I think so. Um, I, I think that Honda is just not a great bike for a, and like it's. I'm starting to get the impression that maybe only three dudes can actually ride that Honda effectively, and one of them is uh, is half a mile above the other two in that in in that department. Um, and it's it's not been a good bike for people that have been slower down the field. I mean, we'll get to Pramac in a minute, but I think the Ducati's made a big difference to one of those riders already. Um, and this is a guy that you know, an, an Australian that you know had a, a good three year, three four years of graft on said Hondas, and it might have had a negative impact on his career as a result of that. Um, so yeah, I mean, as you said, it's 
The Honda is not a very user-friendly bike. It's been proven. It's been shown by its its factory riders, its satellite riders, and often guys down the back of the field that have struggled, um, for example, so much so it might actually dramatically affect the future of one of its runners very soon. Again, more on that in a bit. Um, but, yeah, I think Rabat is relishing this, this, this GP17 that he's going to be on. Um, it's a much improved bike. It's a bike that, you know, nearly won Dovi a title yeah. last year. I mean, there's no shame in that. And you, you're getting a very, very fast bike proven. Six you know, races last year. Yeah, won six races last year. And you've got that right out of the box. That's a fantastic bike to have. And it's shown Rabat is looking like he's about half a second quicker than he was last year in relative, relative to the field. So, I, again, I think he's a guy that is going to be impressive going forward. And, yeah, Vintia should be thinking about maybe top tens on a more frequent basis. Um, with Rabat leading the team, he definitely improved towards the end of last year. He looked a bit more consistent. And I hope he's able to keep that going. He's on the right bike for it. He is. It was a team that kind of underperformed last season due to their riders having... Uh, or certainly one of them, in the case of Barbara, just not backing up his incredible 2016 with a good 2017. Um, Bass still did a solid job last year, but yeah, they were really missing Barbara's results um, in 2017. And it looks like Tito Rabat is really sh- starting to show the rider that we know he was when he won his Moto2 title um, mm. in, in 2014. So keep an eye out for him. There were circuits, as we saw last year, where having a two-year-old or a one-year-old Ducati was really the right way to go. Um, it was, we, we, yeah. would off, we would often see four or five of them in the top ten. Um, at the end of free practice three and Tito Rabat might well be one of those shock riders that occasionally sneaks into Q2 um, and knocks a big name out we'll follow that as the season goes on Um, up next to the next of the factory teams then and a team that many are keeping a very very close eye on and that is Red Bull KTM who made their debut in MotoGP last year and impressed just about everyone Um, not just with how they started but the way they developed themselves into a strong position into regular top 10 spots by the end Mm. of the year Um, Dre the question I suppose is can they continue to develop their way up the order because really for them the hard work starts now yeah, like they've they've made up like a good second compared to where they were at the start of last season. Um, as as any guy who's worth his salt in the bike game will tell you, it's the second, it's, it's, it's the it's the last second to get up to the front that's always the most difficult to find. Um, the law of diminishing returns sort of states that you know it's going to be harder and harder for them to get up the field as they go up. Um, I'm not sure where the ceiling is for this team next year. Um, they should be thinking regular top tens. You'd think um, uh, they, 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 again, they were there on a semi-regular basis last year. Um, they, they did creep into that area a couple of times last season. That should now, if you think, it'd be a regular thing. Paul Spagro is an excellent rider. He, like he's, an, he's a fantastic team leader. Had a great season last year. Should be able to build on that as a, as a team leader. Could be a make or break year for Bradley Smith again, which you know could be, which could he's be interesting. <laughs> he's had a few. He's had two or three of those already. He's riding on the seat of his pants, and this could be another one of those occasions, um, especially given well recent announcements regarding Tech Three um, and you know some of the riders in this Moto Two category beneath it or riding KTM's in general. There's a lot of potential hype in Moto Two regarding KTM and their future plans. Um, so. There's there's a lot there's a lot up there to discuss and there's there's a lot of options for KTM beneath them and there's a lot of potential in front of them but as you say I think I think the real work will start now um, they've you're now going to get into the really big fish in MotoGP once you get into the top ten 
Um, it's going to be it's going to be tricky to say the least. But um, if, if if anything, KTM were astonishingly good last year. Um, so you know, there's reason to be optimistic again in that camp. There's no reason why they can't do that again, and then maybe find another half second and really start getting into the top six or so. Yeah, how well they can develop early in this season might well d- determine whether they get the big fish kind of rider that they're looking for. They've made no secret of the fact that they want Joan Zarco um, in their um, under their umbrella from 2019 onwards. Um, and just to underline a point, Draymond, there that has now been made official since we last spoke to you on episode 48 of Bike Live. Uh, Monster Yamaha Tech 3, as they are this season, will become uh, Tech 3 KTM in 2019. They are joining forces with KTM, having announced previously that they're going to split with Yamaha at the end of this season. Um, so clearly, Tech 3 and Herbert Poncheral believe that the progress is coming um, from KTM to justify having mm. two of their bikes um, in their garages. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how far they can develop. In the preseason test so far, um, in Sepang, which is a circuit that they were not expected to suit them. It's one of the longer laps on the calendar. Um, they were 17th, 18th, and 19th with Calio in the middle of the two race riders. 1.4 and 1.6 seconds off across their three riders um, of Jorge Lorenzo's time. Uh, closer than that in Thailand, although Polisbargaro wasn't there, more on him in his second. Bradley Smith was 1.1 seconds off, um, although that equated to 18th position. Uh, and then in Qatar for the final test, Bradley Smith was slightly higher if he was 14th. Again, 1.1 off. Um, so they're averaging around about a second and a bit off the outright fastest time, which ain't mm. a lot. Um, but again, in MotoGP terms, that is a lot. It's uh, a lot of positions. A lot of riders can fit themselves into that kind of um, that kind of time window. Um, and they're two riders, as I say. They've got both. They've both got stories to talk about surrounding them. Um, let's start with Paul Espargaro, who was their team leader last season, their leading point scorer, and had the standout results um, both in qualifying and in the races. But a whopping crash at Sepang um, in the first of the three preseason tests, which really appears to still be inconveniencing. He had to skip day two of the Qatar test because of it. Yeah, it's like that. That injury was uh, harder on pole than we than we than we thought. Um, yeah, he, like he's going to be going into the season almost firing blind because of the lack of testing time that he's had compared to everybody else. He's going to be um, picking up the slack going into Qatar this the next weekend, and it's, it's going to be down to Bradley Smith to lead the team in the early going, and that could be interesting. I mean, 1.1 three years ago would put you probably just inside the top 10. Mm. Now it's putting you down in 15th, 16th, and you may not score points. Like, that is terrifying, to say the least, again, about how close the field has gotten um, in recent times. But also it also shows that, you know, KTM are making progress, but now they've, it's going to come down to the really fine margins going in now it's going to be the the, uh, the hundreds of a second that's going to make a big difference here that could buy you a row on the grid now um so yeah ktm's got to got to double down here and really knuckle down knowing that pole is still anything but 100 percent just yet from 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 his, from his testing injuries and you know the pain that he's going through right now so oh boy yeah, it's going to be a tricky start for Paul Espargaro. As mentioned, he, I think he's essentially missed five of the nine days of testing we've had so far. Because his, his big crash came, I think, on day two of the Sepang test, um, which caused him to miss day three. He then missed all three days, of course, in Thailand because he didn't go there um, due to the injury. And then he skipped day two of the uh, Qatar test last week because he was still feeling a little sore um, as a result of those injuries. So, yeah, KTM's lead rider from last year having a difficult start. As far as their other rider is concerned, Bradley Smith, um, speaking after the Qatar test, says he feels a lot happier with the bike than he did last year. Um, and injury or not, he did outpace Paul 
um, at the Katatas, which he didn't do a lot of last year. But as I mentioned, he's racing for his career, isn't he? You can argue both riders are uh, in MotoGP because they've made no secret of the fact that they want Joan Zarco. They've got plenty of options in Moto2 with Oliveira, Binder, uh, Sam Lowe's, Dominique Egeter, all on KTMs um, in the Moto2 class. And it, may, it seems pretty clear that KTM have the option on any of their riders from Moto2 to bring them up into MotoGP if they want to. Um, mm-hmm. And you can't imagine KTM, even if they do bring a couple of those up next year, you can't imagine KTM having a complete clear out of their riders for next year, given that they'll have four bikes. They'll want at least one of them on the bikes that knows the bikes from the previous year or two. Um, but Bradley Smith, to keep his spot in that team and therefore on the MotoGP grid, has he got to beat Paul this year? It would help. I think it would certainly help. Um Maybe not. Again, if he can be a, a solid second runner and the KTMs for the most part are running together, then I don't think you can say too much against Bradley Smith. He's got to be close um, as, last year, though, surely. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think he's, like, if he can run close to pole, it's proof that the bike is good because you can have both. You can have two solid riders on them and they're, and they're both roughly about the same. You know that the bike is solid. Um and you know it's it's not the it's not the riders that are causing the issues, which I think Ducati's had that problem in in, in the years past, where it's like they're a little bit too far apart. Um, so you know it causes inconsistencies. But I've, like Bradley has beaten Paul before; he is capable of doing this. He did it, I think, in twenty sixteen. So it's not that he can't do it; he he absolutely can do it. And you know, it's just. Bradley is frustrating because, because again, like his his upside is there and the talent has always been there, but it's that he's he's played second fiddle to pole the majority of his time because they've been teammates now for four years and and in that time like, like polls up three to one on him in terms of season results and certainly in terms of being impressive polls been the headline guy so far and um, bradley's been on the brink of losing his job a couple of times and i think he could be in that scenario again um and it's going to be even worse now because as you say i think miguel Oliveira is going to be sniffing all over for one of those seats next year um if he's even half decent at moto too um so, yeah, like KTM have got options up and down like MotoGP's grid and Moto2's grid. I mean, if Sam Lowe's wins the title on that KTM satellite team this year, they'll be lining up for Sam Lowe's again as well um, because he gets proven to be successful on a KTM chassis. Yeah, we know Pontcharral uh, likes him, so he'd easily take him at Tech 3. Absolutely. So, and, you know, Pontcharral's got a very good eye for talent. So if, if Ponch is interested, you know he's a good rider. Um, he doesn't normally get those wrong very often. Um, so... As you say, like KTM are kind of drunk with power at this point with the amount of potential options they've got, um, which at the moment, Bradley doesn't seem like that great an option. So he's going to have to prove himself here. Otherwise, like he's it's going to be a hard one to try and justify his seat when they've got so much young talent underneath them that they could use for one of those seats in the future to spearhead their team. Mm, and it's interesting listening to what David Emmett says because both of those riders are going to be keen to stay in that team when the big improvements come. Um, if they do come in 2019, although David Emmett brings up a point that I remember Cal Crutchlow making at Silverstone last year um, when he said, imagine what it'd be like if they had a top rider on that KTM. Um, <laughs> David Emmett says on Twitter a couple of days ago, um, building a competitive bike needs financial resources, engineering, knowledge, time, and in the end, a top rider. We all know what is missing out of that at KTM. 
um, essentially saying <laughs> that if they had a Marquez or a, a Vinales or a, a Rossi or a Pedroza, etc., you could pretty much add another half second or take half second off those lap times. Um, and that's that's the question that KTM are going to have to weigh up this season um, when they're judging their current riders. You know, are the riders essentially the ceiling of that bike? And if they put a Zarco, for instance, on that bike, are they instantly going to take another leap forward? Big year for that team and a big year for both of its riders. Bradley Smith, very encouraged by the fact that they're developing at least at the same pace as their rivals. Um, so at least in their second season, they're not um, dropping back from their first season, which sometimes does happen with new teams. Yeah, um, they, But they appear to be at least as good as they were last year. And the task for, now is to, task for them now is to try and get even better uh, KTM, the second of the factory teams. Now for the next of the independent teams and a newly named team for this year. You'll have known it previously as Aspar. This year it is the Angel Nieto team, um, named in honor of the, uh, the legend of the sport who passed away last year. Um, Angel Nieto team, they're continuing to run uh, privateer Ducatis, um, a GP17 and a GP16, an unchanged rider pairing for them, um, with Alvaro Bautista and Carol Abraham on board. Um, two riders, Dre, who both very much justified their spots at the team last year. Absolutely. Alvaro Bautista was a fantastic team leader going forward. Cracked the top six a couple of times around. Um, I still remember Maggiotto when he was running ahead of Mark Marquez for the, for, for the entire race distance. And um, like, it, 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 like, if anything, the last couple of years have shown that Bautista has matured as a rider and that you know he is capable of being experienced enough to lead a team. He and, and yeah, like it, we've seen a bit of the old Bautista come back the last couple of years. A, a, a grafter, a great team leader, and a guy that will get the most out of out, out of you know second second tier machinery. And he's he's been he's got a GP seventeen now. So again, that will only get better. But like as you say, like like Bautista was great last year, and Karen Abraham genuinely showed improvement. He was you know qualified on the front row in Argentina. Again, had another couple of top tens, which is a bit, you know, it's difficult for a team that lacks funding like they do um, to do that. So it's a good team. I, I I completely agree with keeping both their riders on. No, I don't think there was any reason to change their rider lineup out. I could justify. Um, why not give Abraham and Bautista another go? And um, yeah, like there's there's a lot of reason to be you know to be that thumbs up with that team because Bautista is good. Karen Abraham has improved. Um, so, yeah, it seems like things are okay in that team at the moment. Mm, it does, although they've through pre-season testing, they've been solidly midfield. They've been sort of late teens um, in the mm. order. I mean, for a team as modestly funded as Angel Nieto team is, um, and given that they are running year-old machinery or two-year-old machinery in the case of Abraham, who will have the GP16 Bautistas on the 17, it is naturally very, very difficult to punch above your weight as they were doing and some of their results as you mentioned last year were incredible Bautista was fourth in Argentina the same weekend uh -huh. the same weekend that Abraham put it on the front row of the grid um, yep. they also saw Abraham in the mixed conditions of Aston finishing seventh um, which was his high point of the season um, but given that there are teams around them last year that are likely to make, take a step forward this year the likes of KTM and Suzuki for instance um, do you see it been slightly more difficult given that we're not going to have the same level of unpredictability with the Michelins this year um, is it going to be more difficult for Angel Nieto to repeat that kind of level of punching above their weight can we see Bautista and Abraham repeating their top six results of last year 
yeah, I think this is. I think this could be the one team that could sink down a little bit. I think. I think it could be difficult for them. I really do. Um, the, I think the top ten is going to be a bit less predictable. So a bit more predictable, I should say, this year with Suzuki coming up the field. I think a little bit. I think they'll be up there a bit. I think Pramac will be will be consistently above both bikes. I think in the top ten a bit more frequently. Um, so like, I think like. They've improved by getting newer bikes, but then again, so is everybody else. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure if Bautista's got the consistency to get in get in there amongst teams like Suzuki um, or you know some of the better midfield teams like 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 Tech Free and Johan Zarco um, going forward. That could be a real challenge for them. And if there's one team that I think that could take a step backwards, I think it could be this team, given they've had funding problems in the past. They've often had to change. They've had to change sponsors mid-season to try and generate more funds. I, I think this is the team that I think could have the, um, the greatest chance of struggling a little bit if things don't work out. Um, that this is a team that you know has struggled before in MotoGP and they tend to sink when 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 that happens. And I think it could happen again. They're a very they're a talented team. They have good riders there, but. Um, ultimately, motorsport is an arms race, and I think though they are the most susceptible to falling down the field if things happen. Yeah, keep an eye on this team in Moto3, by the way. We'll talk about them next week and on the Atto team, um, because in uh, Moto3, they will be running KTMs this year with no more Mahindra. So they might have a big year in Moto3, but in MotoGP, not so sure. Um, and also keep an eye on this team in MotoGP off the track, because there are serious rumours that they could be the team that pick up those two extra Yamahas in 2019 that Tech 3 are leaving behind. Um, so we'll see on that one. We could see Angonieto running Yamahas um, in 2019, and uh, this may well be their last year um, with Ducatis. And I do wonder as well, with the Ducati getting better and better um, as the years go on, um, whether, again, Angonieto team and indeed Avincia might well fall backwards as a result with Pramac running much better. Pramac, of course, will have an 18 and a 17. Um, and mm-hmm. I think Pramac will be much stronger um, than either of the two other privateer Ducati teams. We'll see as the year goes on. Uh, what next then are LCR Honda. And the reason we're talking about them so early is because they were eighth in the team's championship last season, largely because they only had the one rider. Um, so naturally, they were going to be quite low down. This year, though, they've expanded to two and they've added the rookie Takaki Nakagami, who was a race winner finally last year. Um, in Moto2, one at Silverstone and at Assen. Um, brilliant victories that he had um, last year. Um, and he sometimes flattered to deceive, didn't he, Dre, in Moto2? We often expected him to be better than he ultimately was. Um, but in terms of outright lap times, he's probably been the most impressive of the five rookies, hasn't he? I think so. I think he's I think he's going to be my vote for rookie of the year. Though, um, um, I think... Taka seems to have taken to the class like a duck to water. He's been so fast on occasions, you know, within a second of the leaders on occasions as well. I think of all the rookies that have been out there on this bike so far, um, I think he's been the most comfortable. I mean, look, look in Thailand, he was only 0.6 off the top. And I've, I've mentioned a story before, but like his teammate and Marquez have been laughing at some of his cornering speeds he's yeah. been generating on this bike. Um, so... Like they've been very impressed by what Taka's been able to do. He, was, he fell back a little bit um, um, in, in Qatar, which is a bit more representative, maybe 21st. I think it'll be a bit lower down that end um, as, as this time goes on. But I think of all the rookies that have that have been in MotoGP so far in testing, I think Taka's looked the most impressive. And I think that um, he's the most comfortable out there. And 
getting a second bike and getting more data for Honda is only going to be a good thing. Um, Crutchlow gets a little bit more, gets a little bit more help for the first time as well. Um, with having a more well, seemingly a very talented, very fast rider in his back pocket as well. So, um, there's like LCR will have a greater influence in the teams of, with a second quality rider, and I think Taka potentially could be that. Yeah, he has been very impressive through pre-season testing. As Dre mentioned in the Thailand test, the second of the three tests, he was inside the top ten, um, which you seldom see from a rookie um, before they've even started their first season. Uh, in the class on a 130.4, which uh, compares to Pedroza, the fastest, to 29.7. Um, and, yeah, as Dre mentioned, just 0.6 off the outright fastest times. And what was it you've been saying in previous weeks, Dre, that some of the other riders in within Honda, including Crutchlow, have been laughing at some of his corner speeds? Yeah, they like, they, like I saw a story about this um, from uh, Simon Patterson um, as well on, on Twitter saying that they were looking at, like, he, like, Crutchlow and Marquez get along very well. And apparently, they've been, they've been looking at some of some of their test data and some of their um, telemetry. And they 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 were looking at some of Takanakagami's apex speeds and some of his cornering speeds going through apexes. And apparently they were blown away and laughing at how fast he was during some of them. So, it, like, like insert Japanese stereotype here about bravery. But uh, Takanakagami apparently is, is very fast right out of the gate here, it seems. The guy looks fearless on a MotoGP bike already. And... I know Crutchlow spoke very highly about Nakagami right from the start. So he doesn't hand out praise readily. No, he doesn't. He's a bit of a grumpy old man sometimes, Cal. But he's been—he was very complimentary uh, of Taka right from the get-go, from his very first testing appearance on the LCR. He's been impressed. So yeah, there's, there's again, there's positive signs coming out coming out of LCR for their rookie. Mm, yeah, and not just for their rookie as well. Um, <laughs> Cal Crutchlow. I mean. We, if you've listened to our IndyCar season preview, you'll have heard uh, some sporadic, bold predictions um, mm. over the course of that program. I'm going to make the first of this one. I think Cal Crutchlow wins the Grand Prix this year um, based on how he's been mm. sensational in preseason testing. As I mentioned, Cal Crutchlow doesn't hand out praise readily. He doesn't often seem the most chipper and most positive of guys. You know, He doesn't tend to talk himself up unnecessarily. Um, but Cal Crutchlow has been very, very bullish and very, very happy in preseason testing. And the fact that the Honda as a whole, Dre, looks a much stronger and better package than it did last year, could Cal be the big beneficiary of that? I think he could be. Um, I don't think it's as bold a prediction as you think, Lewis. I really don't. I mean, it's like this, this is a guy that has won multiple Grand Prix in a season before, so it's not unthinkable that Cal could win a Grand Prix. He's been top four in all three preseason tests. Yeah, he's been very fast indeed. I mean, he was on the cover of MCN and they, 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 the issue that was announced yesterday on the, on the front cover talking about how he thinks he's got a serious chance at the title this year. Wow. I think that might be one stage too far for Cal Crutchlow, but like as you say, like Honda's been in very good spirits pretty much all winter long, which is unlike Honda. Normally it's a little bit more chaotic. Um, from them in the off season, trying to you know figure things out, but it, it, for the for the first time in the, in maybe four or five years in that camp, all is well. Um, it's almost a little bit too well by the sounds of it. But yeah, Crutchlow has been very optimistic going into the season. He, he, has, he seems to have very high expectation of where he thinks he may end up um, on the grid, um, and, and in terms of where he thinks he can challenge. So 
yeah, you don't normally see such optimism and positivity out of Kyle Crutchlow. He's normally a bit of a grump. Um, so to see him optimistic like this and to see him positive about what could be going on next season, um, there could be a lot to look forward to. Cal could, I'm, I'm sure Cal is thinking wins. I'm, I'm sure he's thinking multiple wins here, which the way Honda's been so far this season, given that 93 might be a roadblock here, that could be a problem, especially if he's a bit more conservative. But... Like, that didn't stop him winning two races lot in 2016, so we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. I mean, podiums will be a good start for Cal. I mean, I'm amazed when I look back at last year that he only had the one rostrum last year. Um, amazingly, in Argentina, um, when he finished third behind the two factory Yamahas and had the two factory, Yamaha, uh, factory Hondas not crashed out of very strong positions, he might not have been on the podium there. So it's amazing how... I mean, he was 19 in the championship last year, but only the one rostrum. And he was perhaps one of the big victims of the incredible rise of the Tech 3 rookies um, last year was mm. much low. Um, but this year, he looks much more on the pace. And um, as MCN have crunched the numbers, they say that of the race simulations that took place in Qatar last week, Cal Crutchlow's was the fastest um, mm. over the course of the race simulations, just ahead of Valentino Rossi, who was a close second to him. Um, but Cal looks like he is right on the pace this year. Um, and as he's mentioned with Honda, and we'll talk about this a bit more when we come to their factory team, um, he says they just need to tame their engine a bit. When have they ever not said that at Honda? Um, but they look like they're much closer to the mark than they have been in previous years. And they, I think, are taking the sensible approach, aren't they, Dre? Of, it's much easier to start at an engine that's a little, a little bit over the edge and bring it back. If you start, as Suzuki did last year, with an engine that's just not nowhere near good enough, once you homologate it, you're stuck for the year. Exactly. I, I, it's From what I've noticed in, in motorsport over the years, it's much easier to add to take away power than to add it. Um, once you get in terms of adding power, you get into a you get you get into difficult development problems. You can always you can always take power away from an engine that's too powerful. Um, and I think that's the approach Honda's had this year. They've gone down the road of let's start with a really aggressive engine. And if it's a bit too much, we can dial it down. And it seems to have made everybody happy. Like Marquez is not, and Pedros have not had a bad word to say about the bikes in testing, despite Pedros having a bit more of a scrappy. I remember, um, I remember listening started. to Matt Burt on one of the After the Flag shows that MotoGP had mm. done over the winter. And they were, he was talking about Honda's topping speed traps. When have we ever seen that? That's that, that hasn't happened for a good two or three years since Marquez broke the speed record at Qatar in 2016. I remember that one where he went 217 on the Qatar's home straight, um, almost 350 in old money. Um, but uh, yeah, like I said, it's it's like Honda don't normally top speed charts. They're not the fast. They've never been the fastest bikes in a straight line. They tend to be in red. They never have the smoothest delivery. Those tend to be in blue. Um, and like they've they've had a knack of being over aggressive and throwing riders off their bikes. Ask anyone on a satellite that's not Marquez. Um, so the fact that they've had really none of those problems really going into this season, um, again, kind of says kind of says a lot. It looks like Honda have got their shit together this time. They've had a really good off season. So um, that that could be fearful for the rest of the grid involved at the rate that's going. If Honda are actually probably the happiest camp of the main three going into the going into the season mm. and uh, their strength for so long on those hondas has been under braking they've been very very good under in the braking zones which is partly why they've always had to run the harder front tire um but repsol honda and indeed with cal crutchlow because they put so much stress on it under braking that they can only run the harder option um so if they're still so good under braking yet they're getting onto the straights a lot better this time 
um, mm -hmm. then that's a dangerous combination, as you say. In the Qatar test, the Hondas were still slower than the Yamahas and the Ducatis, um, because you could argue if there's one circuit that perhaps won't favour the Honda, it's Qatar, um, with a slow corner onto the one of the longest straights on the calendar. Um, so perhaps we won't see the best of uh, Honda next weekend, um, but as the season goes on, they're going to be very, very strong, and Cal Crutchlow may well be right at the forefront of it. Uh, they're looking very, very strong indeed. Um, next up then, another Honda-backed team, and a team that perhaps expectations are slightly more modest of. Um, Estrella Galicia, Mark VDS, um, with a rookie pairing, uh, Franco Morbidelli and Thomas Luti, last year's Moto2 champion and Moto2 championship runner-up um, within their team this year. Um, before we talk about their two riders, though, Dre, let's talk about um, the team itself, because the future of it is up in the air slightly. Not so much are they going to be here in the future, because we know that they are. Um, because they have teams in all classes and they've got a real production line and a real ladder up to the top class. Um, mm -hmm. But they're running Hondas at the moment and there are rumours that they're going to change that for next year, perhaps go to a satellite Suzuki squad um, for 2019. That's the strong rumour doing the rounds at the moment. Um, is there a danger at all that that could distract them from their actual goal this season, which is getting results with Morbidelli and Luti? I think so. It, it, it could be. I mean... <sighs> They they've not had the greatest performances with you know with the Hondas that they've had unfortunately like they've like like Reading completely struggled in the past and you know like they, they it took a while to get good results out of Miller and Rabat as well with those Hondas um, so like maybe Michael Bartolomé's at his wits end with that with, with with those engines and maybe a change is in order here because if, if they don't get it right with this year's Honda then that probably might be a dead giveaway that you know maybe it's time for a change especially given you're you're gambling on two rookies here one obviously one's a lot more experienced than the other in Thomas Luti who again is still playing catch up because of his of his injuries from last season playing out and uh, Morbidelli has looked fast at times um but this is a team that was surprisingly good last year. A team that, I think, under the radar, did quite well. Um, I think they're going to take a step back this year with the, with, with Morbidelli and Luti. I think the field's only going to get tighter at the top. And, like, Morbidelli at the moment, at least, I don't think he's on Jack Miller's level in terms of speed and in, and in terms of results just yet. I think that's going to take a little bit of time, especially given, you know, the Hondas they're debuting on. They're not the easiest bikes to ride. We've established just before. Um... It, it could be tricky for Mark Vias, and they're going to have to make a big decision soon as to whether they want to stick around with Honda and, or maybe look elsewhere, um, maybe try something different to get up the field because um, they've not they've not had the greatest time of it with 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 Honda, and and it's it's showed as the years have gone by. Mm. Looking at their time so far, the progress is being clear um, over at Mark Vias with Morbidelli. He started the Sepang Test one point six seconds off. We'll call it one point seven. He was one point six nine six off um, the outright fastest time. Um, then in Buriram, he was only 0.8 off, um, and the fastest, um, well, one of the fastest rookies, he was slightly outpaced by Nakagami, but he was on the pace of Valentino Rossi around there. Uh, and then in the Qatar test, he was the fastest rookie, uh, ahead of Nakagami, ahead of Sayarin, ahead of Luti, um, and ahead of Simeon. Um, he was 13th quickest there, just 1.1 off the fastest time. Um, and if anything, Dre, Tech 3 showed to us last season that even with an all-rookie pairing, we can't write all rookie pairings off at all. Write them off at our peril. Right, as they last year proved that, you know, shut, shut, shut your mouth, Dre. Like, like those, those rookies were excellent. Um, so, yeah, like, it's... We had an incredible rookie class last year. Um, 
it's, it's, it, it, you, you never quite know until until you see him on a bike and you see it in reality and you see how things play out. Like, did anybody predict Frankie Morbidelli's scintillating run of form last year mm. and then just coming out of the box being that quick? In Moto Two last season, I, I don't think I know. I know I didn't. Let's put it that way. I didn't think Morbidelli would be up there. I thought it would have been Alex Marquez's year. So it's like like this 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 class has a knack of throwing up surprises, and I, I think Luti will get the hang of things quickly. I think he's that sort of rider. Um, but yeah, like I said, right like you say, right off the rookies at your peril because they have a knack. They have a knack of surprising people, and there's no reason why they can't get into the top ten with that team set up. Um, with, with enough races under their belt. You mentioned Luti there. Let's just touch on him briefly. He has been, on the whole, the slowest of the rookies, understandably so, um, given that he didn't even ride the a MotoGP bike at all until Sepang. Missed the Valencia test last year due to the injury he picked up um, towards the end of last season, which ruled him out of the final Moto2 race of the season. Um, and starting the Sepang test, he was 2.3 seconds off. Um, by the Qatar test, he was just over two seconds off. Um, around Buriram, he was second and a half off, but it's a much shorter circuit and much less time perhaps to be lost. Um, he's a very, very smart and intelligent rider, isn't he, Thomas Lutie? Mm-hmm. He doesn't necessarily uh, get himself too worked up when things are going wrong. Um, and he's going to need all of that experience, isn't he? Because he's already starting himself with a major handicap, isn't he? Indeed. He, he is a consummate professional, Thomas Luti. Um, that's the resounding word I've heard about him through the paddock is that he, he is a professional. He gets his head down. He gets on with it. He's incredibly easy to work with and he knows what he's doing and um, he, he knows what, what it takes to get to get good results out of a team. And as you say, he is facing a disadvantage. He's still struggling through injuries. He, was, he suffered at the end of last season. Um um, from from Sepang, and yeah, he's 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 got a handicap, and it's a significant one, especially given um, just how stacked MotoGP is. The last thing you want is is less testing time, and that's sadly what he's had to go through. Um, so he's going to be playing catch up. But if any one of these rookies, I think, has the potential to get over that quickly and to find his footing in the class a bit more, I think it's going to be Thomas Lucy because of the extra experience he's had. He's not your typical 21, 22 year old MotoGP rookie. He is a 31 year old veteran of the sport, and you know he, that experience will come through. I think. Mm, yeah, he's going to need all that experience as the season goes on. Uh, Morbidelli and Luti, the all-rookie rider lineup at Estrella Galicia, Mark VDS, which for the perhaps the final time this year will be running Hondas. Um, now to the one team on the field that are running Suzuki's across the bikes that might well be inside that Mark VDS paddock next season. That is the factory Suzuki team, Team Suzuki X-Star, um, and a team that made key errors last season with their engine for the season, which they pretty much openly admitted was underpowered, and by the time they'd homologated it, they admitted they'd or realised they'd got it wrong. Um, and because they'd lost their concessions, having had such a successful 2016, they were unable to rectify it. Um, mm. Now, because they had such a poor 2017, those concessions are back uh, for Suzuki, so they can develop again this year, although it does appear as if those mistakes of a year ago haven't been made this year. Um, Dre, is this a team that are going to be right back in business this year? I think they will. Um, I think Alex Rins is going to be spectacular next season. I really do. Um, I, I think he, towards the end of last year, he had some stunning results in the top five um, ahead of some of the really, really big factory hitters. Um, it was a struggle of a year for Suzuki, as he said, you know, again, a, a lack of engine power. And again, like they were almost too good. In, in 2016 to the point where it was at their detriment to not being able to develop the bike any further. But now they've got that back. 
they've, they've got a different approach. Um, maybe one less party for Andrea only might you know might be a good idea for this season as team leader if he if he, if he wants the future of that outfit. But um, ah, on, on take, the, take on, issue with that. Is he actually their team leader anymore? Good question. That's an excellent question. We'll probably find out by the European <laughs> calendar next season. Because um, I'm not so sure he is. I mean, I'm looking at preseason testing again. Um, mm. And Zipang, fastest Suzuki was Rince. He was sixth. Iannone uh, was 13th. Thailand, Rince was fifth. Uh, Iannone, 15th. Um, and at the Qatar test, Iannone was fastest at a test when he was ill. But uh, Rince was only a half a tenth behind him. I think Rince beats Iannone this year. I think so. You know what? That that would not be a, a big ask. Um, Rins did seem more like a leader. And hey, if the rumours are anything to go by, they're trying to lock down Alex Rins yeah. already. They they know what the future of that team is, and I don't think it's Andrea Iannone. No. Um, I, I, like, it it kind of says it all that they are going after Alex Rins and getting him tied down first. I think Ianoni might be expendable if he if he if he doesn't, you know, really outperform Rins this year. Um I think their future is is in Rins and not in Ianoni. Um and as you say, like, you know, talking about Ianoni not being a team leader, has he ever really looked like one in that outfit? Probably not. So yeah, when you say it like that I think you're right there, Lewis. Mm, yeah, we'll see. I mean, Alex Rins, speaking after the Qatar test, says that it's been a very positive test. He's really excited to start this new season with a lot of confidence. And I think we have a great package. And I think a, a fully confident and fully focused Alex Rins, and more to the point, based on what happened last year, a fully fit Alex Rins, uh, yes. I think he is rapid. Um, and I, I'm really looking forward, like you, to seeing what he does this year. I think he's going to be a real dark horse um, as the season goes on. Um, podium is possible for him? Mm, outside chance, outside chance. I mean, them, the concessions he, are gone again. The concessions are gone again. You know, they, they, he's had, he's knocked on the door on on numerous occasions. Like, I don't see why he couldn't get a podium or two. Mm, yeah, I think it, I think it's on for him. I think he's looking very, very good. In. And Andrea None, his preseason has pretty much been a microcosm of his career, hasn't it? In that he was nowhere yeah. really. Um, in Sepang, nowhere in Thailand, but on the second day of the uh, Qatar test, he was fastest of the lot. Um, before of he, course. Before he, uh, before he came up with a stomach upset overnight and didn't run on the final day. Um, and we shouldn't forget that Yonone on the um, rather difficult 2017 Suzuki ran with the leaders uh, in Qatar last year before he fell off midway through the race. Um, it's the age-old conundrum, is it, with Yonone? We don't quite know what we're going to get from him from race to race, but if the right Yonone turns up... He could easily be a podium threat. Absolutely, like, like uh, Ian only has is is as talented and as good as anyone in MotoGP when his head is screwed on properly. The problem is there's no WD40 in the Suzuki garage and it's been loose for quite some time. Um, as I, mean, I alluded to it earlier, but uh, didn't go down well on social media. No. Him being drunken out in Qatar partying while wearing Suzuki gear. That's <laughs> not a good look. Um, like, if you're going to do it, Andrea, make sure people don't recognize you. Um, like, it's not like Qatar's got a bunch of sports-wise going on for at least a couple of years yet. Yeah, um, like Michael Schumacher uh, after he won his sixth world title in Japan and he went out in a Toyota T-shirt. <laughs> Yeah, smart man. He, he, he knew what he was doing. You see, uh, you know he's not he's, he's not that party nope. aware yet. Um, like he's, he's he's a novice in this game. But um, as you say, like it's he needs to screw his head on because last year 
nobody had more negative press about team chemistry in MotoGP than Andre Rianoni did. Nobody got more shit for that than he did. There's rumors about him, you know, not listening to Suzuki, not taking feedback from anybody, often going out partying rather than training. You know, the signs weren't good, to say the least. Um, so he might be fighting for his job for this season for all we know. I mean, if if those rumours persist, is anyone going to want to hire a guy that blows up team chemistry like Andre Rianoni is? So like, no. he's exceedingly talented, and that's more than half the battle. And the thing is, we said this when he when Ducati binned him for Lorenzo a, couple, a year and a half ago, and at the time, we felt bad for him because he was so fast and so talented, and I feel like he'd gotten the raw, a raw deal. Um, you know... So it's 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 one of those things where you know <sighs> I, I wish he squeezed on properly because again he's so talented the class is better when he's at the front no question but I'm not entirely convinced Ian only wants this as much as everybody else does and that's a problem yeah it's, I think it could be one of those where the the outright best, best strongest standout results of the year might well come from Ian only but consistently over the season i think rins is going to be the stronger of the two um and yeah we, uh, we we both and have done for a number of years have rated alex rins very very highly on this show and uh, yeah i'm really looking forward to seeing what he does over the course of the season suzuki a team that might well be right back um in the mix challenging for top sixes and maybe the occasional rostrum as the year goes on um five more teams to go um starting with pramak ducati who were the fifth f- fastest team in the championship last year um, with uh, Danilo Petrucci and Scott Redding, largely down to Petrucci than Redding, has to be said. Um, and with Redding going to Aprilia, they have made a change and brought in Jack Miller from Australia Galicia, Mark VDS. Um, and in Jack Miller, Dre, have we had arguably the star of winter testing? Could be. Could very well be. I don't think anybody took more headlines away um, than Miller from just, again, top five in Sepang and, you know, top six again in Thailand. Like, and again, a little bit further back, 11th in Qatar, but Miller has been so fast um, all the way through. Um, he's been incredible in, in, in on, on that front. And, oh, geez. Um, <laughs> he's, he's been super good. And, like, again, like that, that he could be the star of winter testing. He could have, you know, more potential on deck than anybody else in, in that midfield. He has taken that Ducati incredibly quickly. Mm. Um, and again, after all those years on Honda, I, I guess Ducati is a bit of like relief for Miller on that GP17. Um, he's going to have a very fast teammate, but he's it's kind of redundant because he's not going to be in the team next year anyway. So if anything, Miller can just probably get on with it and, and get his head down, knowing he'll probably be leading that team next season anyway. Mm. Yeah, we'll so, talk about Petrucci in a second. Well, finally on Miller, I mean, what he's always struck to me, he's just struck me as just a raw talent. Um, obviously, not necessarily the rider that you'd want to if you wanted the, the most PR-savvy rider or the rider who wanted to do the most sponsorship functions. I don't think he's that kind of guy, um, necessarily. Mm-hmm. He says what he thinks, and uh, he means what he says in, in interviews, um, and sometimes it needs bleeping. Um, but in terms of what he does yes. on a motorcycle, he, he's sensational. And as we mentioned with Tito about earlier, he just looks like a rider that is tailor-made for Ducatis. Seems that way. Um, it seems that way. Like, again, again, he's just, just taking it to it so quickly. And, and that's, that's been the biggest takeaway from it. It's been so good. And I've been I mean, so Ducati's impressed. Ducati's don't corner well, but Jack Miller's the kind of man who just wrings its neck anyway. 
Yeah, I think it's just because he's just got that strength. I mean, he talked about it in the past about how he had to go to the gym an awful lot to build up his arm strength so he could ride motor Because remember, this is a guy that jumped up two classes. Um, so, you know, riding a, a big 160-kilo prototype is a lot more daunting than a 60-kilo Moto3 bike that you can fling around every two seconds. He's had to work very, very hard on, on, on getting that sorted out. So, yeah, um, I can't say I'm entirely surprised, but, like, he has. He reminds me a little bit of Casey, how he's able just to wring the neck of this bike and, make, and have it be able to turn so well. And something that Ducati normally has as a weakness, he's been able to turn into a strength. So, again, incredibly impressive for Miller all the way through. Yeah, incredibly impressive. And as, as Dre mentioned, a very, very strong teammate up against him um, in the same team in Donald Petrucci, who um, really did look good uh, in the Qatar test of his race simulation, even though he was ninth overall uh, on combined times. Um, he was ninth in uh, Thailand as well, and in the Sepang test, um, he was 11th. So he's been outpaced by Miller at all three preseason tests. But quietly, he seems very happy with how his winter has gone. Um, and he's going to have, crucially, the GP18 uh, for this year, as opposed to Miller's 17. He's got the same bike, essentially, as Jorge Lorenzo and Andrea Davizioso, which should, in theory, be a benefit. Um, but the fact that Petrucci's leaving the team... <laughs> How is that going to affect Petrucci and Pramac Ducati this season, knowing that Francesco Bagnaia is likely to come in and replace him? Um, we know he's joining the team. We just don't know who he's replacing at this stage um, for 2019. But we expect it to be Petrucci. There's rumours that he might well go to Aprilia next year. Uh, and indeed, Suzuki is sniffing if, uh, if indeed Andrea Iannone departs that team. Um, mm. But how do we see his season going? He's always the rider that you'd look to when, for instance, a wet race comes along. Um, he's always likely to be one of the favourites in a wet Grand Prix. Um, but over the course of the season, I'm, I'm not so sure whether he's going to have enough over the season to beat Miller. I really don't. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure at all. Like that GP18 could, you know, be a step back in terms of development. It may not necessarily be better than the 17. We've seen Lorenzo be up and down all over the place in testing with it. There's no guarantee it's going to be a better bike for his riding style. Miller again has been the story of preseason testing. I'd argue. And, well, how motivated is he going to be? Like, is Petrucci going to have the attitude of put himself in the shop window um, and, you know, knowing that, you know, hey, he could be, like, one of the number one free agents on the board for next season, given that a lot of the top-tier riders are already tied down for 2018. Um, he's got an option where the factory Ducati team could take him on, but they got a 10 in by Mugello. So we'll know early on what the deal is and as, as to whether, you know, whether we'll see if, um, you know, the factory team brings Petrucci up to replace one of their two riders, I think that's unlikely, yeah, to be I, honest. I don't see where that vacancy opens up. He'd have to be, be no. he'd have to be beating them, wouldn't he, um, to, to earn that spot. And my, my, exactly, and my, my sort of um, curiosity with this team as well is, I don't know how it works contractually, like whether it's contractually bound that Petrucci has the GPA team this season, because he is a factory, he has a contracted Ducati rider, but... Um, right. Given that he's potentially departing that team and departing Ducati altogether, I'd be if I was Ducati, I'd be looking at that closely, thinking any chance we can give Jack the eighteen, uh, given that he's going to be staying with the, with Pramac next year. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that goes because I just wonder whether they've got those. I mean, you can't give uh, Miller the newer bike, given that he's just joined the team. Petrucci's done enough with that team to justify having the GPA team. But as, yeah, the, as the year goes on, I wonder whether the uh, the dynamic there might change a bit. Um, if Miller is beating Petrucci as he has done so. Yeah. 
if if they can, I mean, it's like in 2014 when Petrucci was so good in the wet in the middle of that season, they gave him um, a 14.2. Mm. Um, like after the second place result at Silverstone, they gave him an upgraded bike because his results were so good. So Ducati do have a knack of 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 helping out their satellite team if if you know if if they believe that you know it's beneficial. So if Milo Kisio starts strong, comes out, hits hits a couple of good results going going forward, why not give him an eighteen? And they, they know Petrucci's out. If if for example, like if Miller comes out in the first six rounds by Magello and they know they're not gonna they are not gonna bring Petrucci in, why not just give Miller the eighteen? If they're not if they're not gonna rehire the Miller Petrucci or whatever happens and that's confirmed and they know Banyara is coming in and they know Miller's gonna stay for another for another season, you might as well just give him an eighteen. Yeah, give him as much machinery as you can to get the best out of a guy who's looked like a rocket out of the traps. Um, it's probably in their best interest going forward. You could put Banyaya on the lesser bike next year. That's not a problem. If Miller, if you believe Miller is your sh- medium-term plan for the next two or three years, why hold him back? Give him the give him the best machinery possible to hit the ground running. As Joe mentioned, uh, Francisco Banyaya will be in that team. That is confirmed for 2019. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how Pramac do with what is likely to be their final season with uh, Daniela Petrucci. Um, on to the final of the independent teams and the best of the independent teams last season and in uh, conjunction with that, the best of the independent riders um, in 2017. Um, on to Yamaha Tech 3, who ran Joan Zarco and Jonas Folger last year. Um, now, they're going to be running Yamahas, as I mentioned, for the final time. It's been a... Um, a very successful combination, Monster Yamaha Tech 3, over the last couple of decades, really, uh, in the Premier Class. Although they haven't won a Grand Prix uh, together. Drake, will that change this year? I don't know. I think it could change next I, weekend. I, I, Zarko was so fast. Against Zarko, fastest man in Qatar on the test um, a week ago. That was alarming it looks like i mean qatar has always been a yamaha track in recent times they've won there for the last four seasons um so it's zarko could win right out of the gate like and we we all saw it last year we all saw it the man was completely fearless on a slippery track and was leading by multiple seconds and that was you know what made the world fall in love with johan zarko pretty much all that was missing from zarko's rookie season was a victory it was, and he would have been the first rookie to win in his debut season since Max Biaggi, which would have been just I mean, first time since maybe '98, I think it was. Um, that would have been huge. Like Zarko was a revelation in MotoGP this year. He's 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 been the shot in the arm that the series didn't even need. But hey, why not have another one, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, you know, Zarco has with the most impressive rookie season MotoGP has seen since Marquez for sure. Um, there's no reason why he can't win the opening round. He like he's on that 16 chassis. He loves that bike. He's been ultra fast again, pretty much all the way through the test. He's if you'd have, if if you didn't know any better, you'd think he was an alien. That, that, that's as big a compliment as I can pay him. He has been fast pretty much everywhere, especially in Thailand, especially in Qatar. He's been up there with the best of them all the way through. Um, the guy's sensational. He could win right away. He could even challenge for the title. Um, it would not surprise me at this point. 
he's going to have less backup than, than last year because obviously Volga's not going around. I, I don't expect Hafiz Sirin to be running alongside him, to be honest. But if... You know, if if Poncherol plays his cards right in terms of support, which might be a bit unlikely given their recent announcement, um, that that might come back to bite Poncherol if if Zarko is that good out of the gate. But Zarko is so good; he is capable of winning races now, no question. Um, the sky's the limit. I, I think he could easily run there in the top five of the championship all the way through the season. And we all know how close that was at multiple points throughout last year. Zarko could easily be the number six guy in there as well as a true elite class. Zarko feels like an alien and he's knocking on that door very quickly. Mm, thinking back to last year when he could easily have won the opening Grand Prix of the season in Qatar, um, he said after the test there last week, which he topped as we mentioned and was only a tenth away from the fastest ever two-wheeled lap of Qatar um, set by Jorge Lorenzo 10 years ago um, on his debut weekend. Um, Zarko said that he every time he goes around turn two at the test he was thinking of last year's crash. It's just it's, oh, it's still in his mind how he could easily have won on debut last year. Um, he's oh, still thinking um... of it that you know what might have been um, but he's he's shown right throughout last year that he's he's a sensation. He, he was you know, as quick in the first race of the season as he was in the last race of the season, could easily have won both of them. Um, and he's already shown in this winter testing um, phase that he's got courage in his own decision-making. He's pretty much told Yamaha, I want no part of your 2017 M1. I'm going to stick with the 16 yeah. bike and refine it yeah. and make it better and make myself better on it and try and ride it like Jorge Lorenzo did. Um, and he seems to be doing it um, so far, getting quicker and quicker on it. Um, and once again, I mean... Whether he wins a race or not, we're not so sure. But it certainly looks, based on preseason trade, that he might well be showing up the factory team again. It's looking that way. Again, I said the Qatar test, fastest overall, two temps quicker than Valentino Rossi was. Uh, Maverick Vinales was down in fifth overall from combined times. But Zarco, you know, race pace looked good. You know, speed looked good. And this is a guy that's on a 2016 two-year-old chassis. Um, like... And now Yamaha can't offer him a contract now. Like like David Emmer made it clear earlier this week that that they missed the boat. They could have signed Johan Zarco to this team, but they 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 decided not to, and it, that could that could come back to haunt them because Zarco is making the factory team look a little bit silly at the moment, and they're going to want to nip that in the bud quickly. Otherwise, there's going to be a lot of questions um, regarding them going forward. Hmm. In terms of the the collaboration with Yamaha it's coming to an end this season I mean it's it's as long as we've been watching motorcycle racing Tech 3 have been running Yamahas um, so it's going to be a bit strange isn't it to to see those two split at the end of the year Tech 3 um, looking like they're going to go KTM well they are going KTM they confirmed that for next year um, and they'll essentially be running the same bikes as the factory team um, is that perhaps Tech 3's best route to keeping Jean Zarco in that team <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> what do you reckon, Lewis? I don't know. Because Zarco, I mean, KTM have made no secret of the fact they want Joan Zarco as one of their riders. He's their number one shopping target um, they do. For, for next year. Um, and if they're going to offer Tech 3 equal treatment, equal machinery to the factory team, which essentially is what KTM want because they want um, double the development, they want double the data. Um, and you're not going to get that if you're essentially just handing them Tech 3 being them, two bikes, leaving them to get on with it. So 
they could easily keep Zarko in Tech 3 and it wouldn't necessarily um, inconvenience Zarko. He'd have as good a bike as the factory KTM team, if you like, and be as competitive. Whether KTM are particularly bothered um, by the potential of seeing their customer team beating their factory team, I honestly don't know. Um, whether they'll just treat them as their second team, like Red Bull see Toro Rosso, for instance. I don't know. Um, but I think Zarco is likely to be on AKTM next year. Um, because uh, I, I don't see... I don't know about you, Jay, but if he's going to run any other Maker Factory bike, I don't see where that is. Because I think Suzuki have perhaps burnt their bridge with him. Um, because yeah. they, they offered him that phony contract, essentially, a couple of years ago, where they had him signed up to a receipt for the next season and then didn't take up the option and left him out in the cold. Um, right. Zarko's not going to go to Aprilia anytime soon because I don't think they're going to produce a bike worthy of his talent. Um, and the only other option there would be Ducati if either Lorenzo or Davizioso yeah, takes a step aside. And I can't see that happening either. So Zarko, Zarko, I think, has done enough to justify factory MotoGP machinery. And I think the only way he gets it next season is on a KTM. Agreed. Um, yeah, I, I can't disagree with any of those statements. I think... Like, KTM is the obvious outlet here. Like, they're growing, and they're going to want to grow. And if you're KTM, knowing you've now got into bed with Poncharol and the K and the, and the Tech 3 team, knowing you're going to have two more bikes on the field next year, why the hell wouldn't you want Zarco on one of them? Given their Moto3 track record, I don't think they're that bothered if, if, if it's not directly their team that wins, as long as the bike wins. And I think um, to use, to use a, a draft analogy, he is certainly looking on the board of riders who are out of contract. He is best available, isn't he? Yeah, like of all the riders that I think are, are in the pot, Zarco's number one for me, absolutely. Um so, yeah, I don't think KTM are all that fussed as long as the bike wins. Because, hey, after all, what wins on Sunday sells on Monday. And they're not going to be – they probably wouldn't even be so bothered that Tech 3, who has had a prolific brand in Moto3, has that monster team in black and yellow. Um, if that wins, obviously, apparently, Monster won't be with them next year anyway, whatever happens, because, well, conflict of interest. Yeah, um, a bit yeah, yeah, massive conflict of interest, um, so to speak. But um, – in any case, like I think if, if they can keep Zarko in-house, why wouldn't you want to keep Zarko in-house? Even if it's not directly your team, even if it is with Tech 3, uh, some sort of arrangement, maybe you can say, hey, we'll keep Zarko. As if you, like, we'll keep Zarko, or maybe we'll swap you for me. So maybe, like, maybe they'll use Miguel Oliveira or Brad Binder as a bargaining tool. Um, maybe to keep them sweet. Something along those lines, because they've got talent. They're like, KTM's got assets here in, in this deal, so they can... They can probably beat their heads together and find a way to make it work. Um, I, again, I expect at least one of them on their Moto2 team to be in MotoGP next year. No question. Um, probably Miguel, most likely. Um, I'm not sure. And in, um, in terms of the team overall, Tech 3, I mean, it's amazing. We're previewing the 2018 season, but we're already talking 2019. Um, that's how silly this silly season's been. Um, but in terms of Tech 3, uh, do you think this is just a, a move in general that will benefit Tech 3 long term, get, jumping into maybe KTM as opposed to essentially being um, Yamaha's B slash C team, whereas they're essentially just given the machines and told to get on with it with no hope of development, no hope of progress? Um, surely this Tech 3 KTM collaboration is going to benefit all concerned, isn't it? Because as we've seen with KTM, we've highlighted it already, um, they're not the kind of factory that. Um, hands their customer teams inferior treatment. They'll give them equal treatment to their factory team. We saw Maverick Vinales in 2013 win the Moto3 Championship on a KTM, and he wasn't even in their quote-unquote factory team. So Tech3, long-term, surely are going to be stronger and they're going to benefit from having 
this kind of backing. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, the amount of money KTM are throwing at this as a factory outfit and as and as and as, a, and as an outfit in Austria, and especially with the Red Bull collaboration, they're throwing shit tons of money. Like apparently, twenty plus million pounds is their budget for next year, up there with the real like the Yamaha factory hitters. Mm. Um, so it's in their best interest to give Tech Free every chance of success. Um, and I don't like. I think KTM has a different approach to Yamaha. I think KTM is a bit more, a bit, a bit more unselfish. Where they'll have the attitude of, I don't care as long as anybody on a KTM wins. Or I think Yamaha had the attitude of, everybody gets behind the factory team, whether you like it or not. Mm. It's the same approach as Honda, because even Honda have basically. And Crutchlow said it before on the record that listen. The bike I'm on is basically the same as Marquez and Pedrosa's. It's just I'm, I like it set up a different way. Um, like so, Honda have no problem giving Crutchlow as many tools as possible to win because it's in their best interest. If they if they have a third rider like Crutchlow who's bigger than Marquez and Pedrosa, and they can get data off of him, that could be useful to help Marquez and Pedrosa win. It's 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 a team game in motorsport at the end of the day. As much as people don't want to admit it, sometimes it's a team game, and it's in KTM's best interest to help out Tech Free going forward. So, as I said, like they they, they will absolutely give Poncherol everything he needs to 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 try and get up the as high up the field as he can. I mean, there is no doubt um, um, that that uh, Poncherol, I think, was alluding to when he said he was made an offer he couldn't refuse. I think factory support was a big part of that. Yeah, we are going to give you equal treatment to our um, number one team, if you like, uh, KTM. Um, sticking with Tech 3 then for this season, and I certainly hope that their collaboration with Yamaha is seen off with at least one win this year, and I think they're going to get it with Zarco. I think you think he's due a win. I think he's done enough last year to just suggest that eventually, if he keeps putting himself in that position, the cards are going to fall the right way for him. Um, and it could easily be next weekend in Qatar for the season opener, uh, where we could have won last year. Um, but we shouldn't forget, there are two riders within the Monster Yamaha Tech 3 team, although they only confirmed their second rider around a month ago. Um, not even that. They lost Jonas Folger due to the illness that took him uh, out of last season with three or four races to go. He pulled out on the eve of this season. They've replaced him last minute with Hafiz Sayarin out of Moto2, the Malaysian, who... As I mentioned earlier on, we'll have a home Grand Prix, which will be almost certainly sold out at Sepang in October, if actually start of oh, November. Um, and it's almost impossible to have any kind of expectations for him, given how he's been really thrown in at the deep end at the last minute. Um, Absolutely. But given that, at the end of the Thailand test, his first three days on a MotoGP bike, he was um, third from the back, 1.7 off. But in Qatar, around a circuit that's 25% longer, he was half second closer to the front. He was only 1.2 off. Is he already surprising us? Not bad at all for Mephisire. In fact, I would go one better and say that was actually very good for Mephisire in, in there. It's a shame that 1.2 would put him out of the points because for a guy that was only riding a MotoGP bike a month prior, that was an incredible effort. Um, and again, he's only going to get better as time goes on. Yeah, um, I think Siren's been very impressive in the way he's had to adapt very quickly. He's had even less time than, than most of the rookies that are in MotoGP right now. And he look, again, he looks like he belongs. 1.2 off the top on a two-minute lap is fantastic for a rookie. On your, no matter on which your way. sixth day on a MotoGP bike. Yeah, that, that's sensational. No matter which way you cut it, that's fantastic pace. It's as good as, as any rookie I've seen in some time. 
Um, and again, Siren has really got his head down and gotten on with it, and that's very impressive indeed. Um, so yeah, I think he's he's, he's certainly impressed me um, um, as he's, as he's only again had a handful of days on a MotoGP bike to perform, but he's done fantastically well with them and again again will only get better um as time goes on i think he could have a few top tens in him as the season goes on for sure and if there's one team that gives rookies the best possible platform to deliver it's tech three as they showed last year um with Volga and zarko um i think siren i agree with you i think he's going to be by the end of the season i think he's going to be top 10 uh caliber um and he's another rider that was we've seen in the moto 2 class he is raw talent and uh you know, you don't mm. you don't finish you know on the podium on your Grand Prix debut in Moto Two like he did if you haven't got just abundance of talent. Um, and I think on the right day in the right conditions he could really surprise. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, how Siren gets on. Um, three teams to go, and they are as we mentioned the big three, um, the big three factory teams that were expecting the world champion to come from one of these six riders. Um, I think that's probably fair to say, with all due respect to the likes of Zarko and Crutchlow, who might consider themselves outside contenders. Um, and we'll start with Ducati, who were third in the team's championship last season, but very nearly won it all in Valencia towards the end of last season. Um, they spent much of last season, Dre, hoping to win the championship. Surely this season they go in expecting to win it. Absolutely, they they have to be thinking championship now. Like you won six you, you won six races last year. There's no excuse. You've got to be thinking all the way now. Uh, like. I, I, I know it probably wasn't from the guy you were expecting, per se. Um, Dovi being the biggest surprise of 2017, probably by a mile. But they've got to be thinking championship now. Anything less, what I think would be a disappointment. It's, it's the Chaz Davis syndrome when he interviewed him on the first edition of this show, where he said anything less than title would be a disappointment. That's, that's got to be what Dovi is thinking now. That's got to be what, what Gigi Delinia is thinking now going forward. Because... If you went from two wins to six, you haven't got an excuse now. You've got to be thinking championship. How could you be winning more and not be thinking championship? Um, they, they have the tools for it. And if Lorenzo shows the Sepang side of his testing yeah. pace, they could win seven or eight. And it wouldn't, and it wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, so, so, like I said, they have six. They have they had six wins last year. They haven't got an excuse. They've got to be thinking championship, and that should be the expectation going in. Yeah, it's it's interesting looking at Ducati's preseason form. I mean, Lorenzo, as Dre mentioned, at Sepang was sensational. Set the fastest ever two wheel lap of Sepang um, at the beginning of February. Went missing completely in Thailand. He finished the combined lap times down in sixteenth, um, and he was outside the top twenty on the final day. Um, in Qatar, Lorenzo was there or thereabouts. Um, he was 10th overall with Davizioso up in third. Dovi's been kind of chipping away at it through preseason without necessarily lighting up the timing screens. He was fourth in Sepang. Um, in Thailand, he was seventh. And in Qatar, he was third. Um, LaSalle been a circuit that always uh, favours Ducatis. Um, mm. But are Ducati, if they are going to be championship contenders this year, do they perhaps face an interesting political dilemma within their team? Because surely Lorenzo is going to be at least as good, if not better, than last year. He can't be any worse. He's got a year's experience on the bike, and he's he's almost talking himself into a corner now, Lorenzo. He's almost telling us that he's going to be better, so he now has to be. Um, but are Ducati going to be faced with a position mid-season where they're not quite sure who their number one is? Yes. Um, short answer, yes. Long answer, pick a rider. You're gonna have to pick one. Um, like as, as Yamaha proved last season, you can't have two contenders for a title. They take too many points off each other. And Honda, 
know what their game is. The, the Honda knew from the start, okay, we're building this team around Marquez. Pedrosa accidentally is a brilliant cleanup man. Like, Marquez is, is a one-man wrecking crew. Um, it's, it's incredible. Um, so... They have the right idea, in my opinion. Like, if anything, Yamaha last year had Maverick and Rossi take too many points off each other and ended up compromising both their title chances. It's it's 2012 McLaren all over again. Like, you can't really have Hamilton and Button in the same team, for instance, and have a fair title fight because Red Bull were all built around Sebastian and ended up challenging for the title with Fernando, who had Felipe Massa in the background. They had Their teams were just structured differently. Ducati might have that problem again here, unless the blessing might be if Pedrosa is excellent this year, that might force a few hands. But I don't expect that from Repsol Honda. And, so and with Ducati as well, we've we've looked at their contractual situation as well. A lot of riders have already confirmed their futures for 2019. Vinales has done that. Marquez has done that. Um, Valentino Rossi is likely to do that before the season starts next weekend. Um, but yeah. neither Ducati rider is signed up for 2019. And surely, if you're Andre Vizioso, for instance, and he's leading that team mid-season, um, not only is he going to be saying to Ducati, back me as your number one, but he's going to be saying when he d- d- negotiates his contract for 2019, I'm your number one, pay me accordingly. Right, I want number one status. And, and that's like... On, yeah, that's, that, that's, on, uh, that's on and off the track. He's going to want number one status. And... This is the problem. They've now got two number ones in that team. One of them, you've just paid twelve million a year to join your team in the first place. Like, really. Yeah, and now I've already heard reports that Dovi is demanding six to eight million a year next year to stick around because he now knows. Yeah, because go get, get your bread, Dovi. <laughs> I mean, you've been, this is the contract you've been waiting for for years. So, like, like it might be Dovi's last big payday in MotoGP. So, and if you're in that might scenario. Never be higher. Yeah, exactly. Like his stock has never been higher, and it probably never will be higher. So, if you're in his position, like sell high, like you have to now because all of a sudden you're now the leader of that team, and Lorenzo, the guy that you 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 gave him a twenty five million pound contract to to lead your team, has not done so. Like, what do you, what do you do? Like, because again, they're both out of contract, and Ducati are not going to pay those two guys that sort of money forever, especially given they're now both on the not so bright side of thirty. So, like, what do you do? Like, if you're Ducati, you might have to get in bed with one of your dudes and say, you know what, this is your team, and we'll have to sod the other guy off and see what happens because they, they like this is this is not sustainable for Ducati going forward. It's not going to last. I mean, we've already had. Team orders, controversies, ignorance of team orders, and enormous figures being laid out for their two riders. It, it cannot last. Mm. <laughs> Looking at their two riders then and how they're going to go this season, I mean, let's start with Lorenzo, who, as I mentioned, set the fastest ever lap of a motorcycle of Sepang um, back at the start of February at the Sepang test. Yet at Thailand, he was nowhere. He was slightly more in the middle in Qatar. He was top 10 there at a circuit that he kind of struggled at in the race last year. Um, are we still a little unsure of which Holger Lorenzo we're going to get this year? Yes. Um, short answer. Um, I don't know what to expect from Holger Lorenzo at this point. Like, because sure, as based said, on how he was talking for all of last season and how bullish he was at the launch of that bike and after Sepang, he was pretty much having us believe that he was going to be the real deal this year. The bookies still think he is. He's second favourite for the title. But I'm still seeing enough evidence to suggest he might not be the finished article on that bike yet. And after a year's experience, he should be, shouldn't he? 
this like this could be like a career defining year for Jorge Lorenzo. And I don't I don't say that with I don't say that lightly because as you said, they unveiled the bike. He was bullish about it. He said it was a good lap. It wasn't a great lap when he set that lap record at Sepang. He said there was more in the tank to come from that bike. Um, again, the bookies have gone very low on him at 5-1 to one to win the title. Um, they're, they're basically the best of the rest against Marquez at, at this point in time. Even going as far as to denounce haters and, you know, be, be defensive in front of the press on Twitter, like like Matt Oxley during this off-season break. So he's made a lot of claims and he's, he's talked a lot of smack regarding this situation. Anything less than a title is going to look stupid, quite frankly, because mm. he's now, as you say, written himself into a corner now where anything less than a championship is going to be deemed as a failure. And he's not. I'm not even sure he's the best rider in his own team at the moment, let alone winning the championship. And that's just the problem. Like, it's not like Lorenzo to make this much noise. So he'd better be sure that, that, that he's right on this one and that he's going to be a, a much closer threat for the title this year. Because if not, then he could be out of contract at the end of the season without a bike and probably going to take a substantial pay cut to stick around in MotoGP anyway. So... Like, Lorenzo's got a lot to lose here and not an awful lot to gain. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Looking at his... I don't think... I don't see uh, Ducati cutting either of those two riders uh, at the end of this year. I'd expect Ducati's 2019 lineup to be unchanged on 2018. Um, but, yeah, Holy Lorenzo looks like he's going to talk himself into a pay cut. Um, because, yeah, unless he's challenging for the title, which is, let's not let's face it, that's why Ducati paid him the money um, to bring the world title to Bologna. Um, and if he's not doing that, Ducati is essentially going to turn around on the negotiating table and say, well, what are you doing to justify this level of, of, of salary? So, yeah, he could find himself with a bit of a problem around the summer if he's not backing up his talk, which has been considerable um, through the pre-season. His teammate, though, Andre Vizioso, hasn't really said an awful lot um, over the winter. Kind of classic Dovi in that respect. He's keeping his cards very close to his chest um, and he's... Not exactly lit up the preseason testing times, although he was third quickest in Qatar. Um, a lot of people are looking at Andre Vizioso thinking, was 2017 just his one big year, or is that the new Dovi? Um, can you see Dovi chanting for the title again? Why not? I don't see any reason to believe he won't. Um, I think that like you don't go from zero wins to six unless something significantly has changed um, in your mentality going forward. Um, I don't think last year was a fluke. I think Dovi has always been due that sort of season where he's put everything together. And he did last year. And I think he was fantastic um, last season. Obviously, a, a rider of the year contender, um, you know, a guy that fell on his sword towards the end of the season, but was fantastic in doing so. Um, Dovi's never been a, 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 a shit stirrer. He's never been that sort of guy. He he's he, he shoots straight, but he doesn't talk a lot. He doesn't he doesn't talk big games. He, he lets his riding do the talking for him, and he's a very humble guy. And I think he will just get his head down and get on with it like he always does. And I think that mentality, his rider's rider style. Is what I think will shine through for him. I don't see any reason why he can't contend. Yeah, he did. He has not set the world alight in testing. 
Um, he hasn't had to because we all now know that he, what he's capable of. And you know, Dovi always goes well in Qatar. He's finished second there the last three years. He will go get. He, I'm 99 sure he will. He will finish on the podium in Qatar to start the season. Mm. Dead certain on that. I'd, I'd have that nailed on. Um, quite frankly, so I think he will start as well as he always does because Dovi always starts well year on year. He's always started strong. He's, he likes these first few circuits on the calendar that come through. If he racked up two or three podiums in the first three rounds in a row, it would not surprise me at the slightest. Um, brilliant stuff. Um, like So I think Dovi will absolutely be a contender. No question in my mind. And he was very, very happy. Although, as, as we mentioned, the time might not necessarily reflect it. He was very happy with how fast and consistent he was um, at the Qatar test last week. Um, so Dovi looking pretty happy with his lot. Um, the test now is for them to deliver on it. And as we've mentioned, if Ducati don't win the championship this season, surely they are falling short of expectations. The same really applies for all of these three big factory teams that we're talking about at the back end of this show. Next of them is Yamaha, um, who have had two very, very poor seasons. Um, 2016 was perhaps more rider-inflicted, um, with mistakes made by Rossi and Lorenzo in 16, which handed the title to Mark Marquez in, in, in some ways. Last year, it was much more machine-inflicted, um, given that their riders both showed on occasions they could win races. Rossi won at Assen, Vinales won for fun at the start of the year, before they kind of lost their way a bit. So far, Trey, mm. looking at winter testing, it appears as if it's going to be much more of the same with Yamaha, doesn't it? That they're going to go to some circuits and smoke the field and go missing at others. Inconsistency does not win championships, and that's a problem for Yamaha. Um, I think you're absolutely right. I think that they are—they were all over the place in testing. Again, they were very fast in Qatar. But again, as, as mentioned, Yamaha always go well in Qatar. They've won the last three down there um, with three different riders, funnily enough. So they've been consistently brilliant in Qatar. Um, it's a Yamaha circuit. It has been for some time. Um, but as you say, that they are going to struggle on certain tracks. They did not look anywhere near competitive enough in Thailand, for example. And, yeah, and they were up and down at Sepang as well. So... What, what's, the, what's more worrying for them is that they don't seem to know themselves why that is. Yeah, like I, I remember there, there was a quote in the middle. I think it was, it was the middle in the Titans where they said it was their worst ever day of testing. Like they, I think it was Maverick that said that he had no idea what the problem was. Like Yamaha themselves don't seem to know how to fix this. And like as Matt Oxley pointed out on Twitter last week during the during the Qatar test. They were using parts from four different years of bike mm. on there to try and figure this out. It's a Frankenstein's monster of a machine um, for, you know, from parts from 15, 16, 17, and 18 trying to combat this problem. And they can't seem to figure this out. I mean, they're still fast mm. on paper. And again, like in Qatar, I said, the, uh, Rossi was second and, and overall and Maverick was fifth. They'll be better on race day and race weekend next week. I'm certain on that. I think both of them will probably end up on the podium. It wouldn't surprise me at all. I think Valentino but wins next weekend, frankly. Wouldn't surprise me at all. But um, over the course of the season, I'm not sure where they're going to get the five, six, seven wins they'll need to challenge for the championship. So, um, Do you know what it is for me with Yamaha? I think they'll get five, six, seven wins. I just think the 10, 11 other races that they're not winning, I think they'll just be too far back. I mean, they're, 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 yeah, it's feast or famine, I think, with Yamaha at the moment, and and that is no more so epitomised than I mean, Maverick Vinales' performances, and he c contended for the championship, Dre, right up until 
Phillip Island last year, two rounds, two rounds before the end of the season, he was still a mathematical title contender. Um, but it was pretty clear that on his day, and when the bike and the rider were on song, he was unbeatable, as he showed at the start of the season. He won three of the first five races um, and looked the nailed-on title favourite. However, on the days where the Yamaha didn't work, it almost seems as if uh, Maverick Benalys's head went with it. Um, surely, if Maverick Benalys has got yeah. any hope of contending for the championship this season, on those days where the Yamaha perhaps isn't the bike to be on, he's got to limit the damage better, hasn't he? Absolutely. He's got to stay on the bike and he's got to try and get podiums and top fives where he can because if Yamaha had a bad day, people were either crashing or they were finishing outside of the top six and that is and that was catastrophic yeah, for him. Marquez showed at places like Mugello last season that sometimes a sixth place isn't a bad result. Now, if that's, all, if that's not... all that's there for you, get your points and go home. But Maverick Vinales last year was 10th in Barcelona, he was 12th in Valencia and he was 9th at Mategi. Those don't win your championships. No, that's not good enough. And they, they they ended up, they hemorrhaged points to Honda and Ducati. And that's why neither of their riders was able to challenge for the title last year. They were just hemorrhaging big points on bad weekends. Marquez having a bad weekend would be a fourth, fifth or a sixth. Uh, a Yamaha bad race would be a DNF or, or finishing in the bottom end of the top 12. That's not going to win you anything. So Yamaha need a more consistent bike across the board rather than hey trying to knuckle down and trying to win the four or five a year they'll they'll definitely win i mean they only had four wins as a team last year four for yamaha that's 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 shocking they were all in the first half of the year yeah and again like maverick went, went i think it was 12 races in a row without winning at the end of the season and that that's not good enough they're not gonna you're not gonna win we're not gonna win championships doing that it's terrible so no, it, it can't happen that way. They, they've got to have a more consistent bike over the course of a season. You can't just have two or three rounds where you're on fire and then you know have four or five where you're going to be completely uncompetitive. You can't do that. It's, you're not going to win championships doing that. I mean, they've got two riders who are capable of, of contending for a championship, but in many ways, as a team, that cancels itself out because they might just take points off each other, as we've discussed already at Ducati. Um, but based on what you've seen so far, not just on last year, but also the way win the winter's gone, Jamie's question, because I'm not sure I know the answer to myself, which Yamaha rider of the Apache team do you think is most likely to win the championship this year? Yes. <laughs> um... I'm not sure, it's Maverick. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. I really don't know. Um... Right off Valentino Rossi at your peril, um, as always, because every time we seem to talk down of him, he finds a way to he finds a way to get results. Um, he's spooky at that now. Maverick, Maverick, I think is faster overall than Valentino Rossi is at this point in his career. But there is no substitute for experience There's in still this field. Yeah, and again, like I said, Maverick lost his head. On, on numerous occasions. Um, so, I don't know. if like Maverick, you'd think, would be more mature as the years would go by, realising, no, Maverick, you're not going to win every single race. You know, you, you are going to make mistakes. Accidents will happen. It's it's a part of the sport. It's how we grow from them, right? I, I, I don't know if Maverick has matured enough to, to eliminate that side of his, of his mentality going into MotoGP like Valentino Rossi has, who... We all know is 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 you know is going to be his usual self. He's you know he'll he'll go out of his way. He'll get the best he can out of a bike. He doesn't make very many mistakes, and he'll get on with it. So, I mean, I don't think yeah. I don't think that the world champion is going to come from Movie Star Yamaha this season. Spoiler alert! Before we do our predictions at the end of the show, I think we all know 
think we're both going to be unanimous in who we think our champion's going to be. Um, but, uh, but at Movie Star Yamaha, I think, and it's easy for me to say this on March the 8th, but I think Valentino Rossi will win next weekend. Um, and I think he'll beat Maverick Mignales this season. Um, and, I, and I think, I mean, it would be amazing that this guy's going to be 40 by the time we start next year and he's likely to be on the grid. And I think that's going to be key for him that the sideshow of will Valentino Rossi retire or not looks like it's going to be out of the way before the season even starts which I think is very important that he's not going to be having to field questions this season. Are oh, you going to be continuing, Valentino? It looks almost nailed now that he will be. Um, but if you look at last season, Maverick Vinales outscored Valentino Rossi by the end of the season by uh, 22 points. And he started the year a mile ahead of Valentino. Valentino Rossi had a dreadful winter last year, uh, was struggling with the bike mm-hmm. right throughout the winter and was way behind Maverick for most of the first half of the year. I don't think that's the case at the start of this season, Dre. Indeed. Um, I think it's a bit more level pegging between them going into this opening round. I remember Maverick this time last year came out of the quote of this bike is race ready after the, the first day of the, of, the, of the Qatar test last year. I don't think he's got that same level of confidence this time around. And, um, you know, Valentino Rossi has not done what he normally does. And that's normally talked down of the Yamaha, really. He does, he's not done that as much this time around. I think I think Rossi's going to be a bit better than people think out of the gate. And I think Maverick's not going to be quite as good as people think out of the gate. That's that's my take going forward. Yeah, he's certainly not going to enjoy that level of invincibility that he seemed to start last season with. Um, that's mm-hmm. for sure. It's going to be fascinating to see how this uh, Yamaha dynamic works out uh, over the course of the season. Um, with both of them likely to stay in that team. Uh, for the next two years. We know Maverick Vinales is going to stay with Yamaha until the end of the 2020 season. Um, he signed a two-year extension. I mean, you could see that in one respect as a vote of confidence in Yamaha. I would more reply to that with where else was he going to go. Um, that's pretty much the best ride he was going to get. Um, and Valentino Rossi pretty much is Yamaha at this point. Um, so he's always going to get that level of support and backing within his team as long as he is there. Um, so that's going to be fascinating between those two riders to see who comes out on top this season, I think it's going to be very, very close between the two. But I'm not so sure either of them are going to win the championship. I think we're both unanimous, right? That we think the champion is going to come from Repsol Honda. Um, and we probably both think it's going to come from the 93 side of the garage. But let's start with Danny Pedrosa. Um, because number 26 has looked very, very good all winter. I mean, he's a rider that as well, a lot of people are keen to write off and try and talk him out of that team. Um, a lot of people seem to question whether Danny Pedrosa is good enough. Well, he won the final race of last year, so of course he's still good enough. Yes. Um, and he topped the preseason testing at Thailand. He was fastest there ahead of Joan Zarco and has looked very, very good and very happy all winter. Um, surely Danny Pedrosa, can he still win a championship? I mean, he does look as if he's still going to be a shade slower than Mark Marquez, but he say he looks better than I think he's looked for several years. I think he has looked very good. I think he's, he's he in testing has been probably the most consistent man out there besides besides Qatar, where he had a couple of crashes on day one and has been a bit ropey since then. But Pedrosa was second fastest in Sepang and he was fastest overall in Thailand. Um, it's easy to write Pedrosa off because 
we have a juggernaut as a teammate and it's a problem. But Pedrosa is still world-class. He is still capable of winning easily multiple rounds a year. He is so good at what he does. Um, he's kind of accidentally been Honda's cleanup man for the last couple of years. But as you say, I think he started this off-season as well as I've seen him in years. Um, he still looks fast. He still looks competitive. I don't see why Repsol Honda haven't re-signed him yet, to be honest with you. Um, I think that's coming soon. Um um, Mark has already signed the extension. I think they'll keep that team together. I don't see why they wouldn't. Um, but yeah, I, I think Pedrosa's opened opened his account very strong to start the, the off season going into going into Qatar. I think a lot would have to go his way to, to for me to take him as a serious title contender. But he will, he will still be in the mix, and that is valuable to try and disrupt other people. I think there's only, I think like only one thing this year would be as popular as Valentino Rossi winning his 10th title, and that's if Petroza wins his first MotoGP title. Yes. I think, I think that's fair to say. I think I, I think Pedrosa is more of a disruptive influence than a true, a true threat, but... He's still valuable. He still will carry you multiple wins. He's still more than worthy of his place on 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 the, the best team in the field right now. Uh, it's just we have a historic level talent on the other side of the garage, and that's a problem. But um, in the context of MotoGP now, Pedrosa is still more than good enough to justify his position on there. And you know, keeps keep rolling him in contracts because because you know what? There's no reason to drop him. He's still very very good. He still won 54 Grand Prix in his career. Um, which is an extraordinary level of achievement, and he's won a Grand Prix uh, in every single MotoGP campaign that he's taken part in um, since he debuted in 2006, which is uh, which is some going, isn't it? Um, his teammate yep. then, Mark Marquez, reigning world champion, six-time world champion, um, four of which have come in the Premier Class, the best rider on the planet today, um, and has seemed very, very happy with his lot across pre-season testing. He's another one, isn't he? Much like his championship, can, his championship challenger of a year ago, Andre Vizioso, hasn't necessarily lit up the preseason testing charts, although he was quickest on day two of Thailand. I think that's the only day of the testing so far that he has been fastest in. But whenever anyone has spoken to him, and that includes the time he was seen dancing on stage on TV in Indonesia, he seemed very, yeah. very happy with how preparations have gone. And when Mark Marquez says that, the rest worry. Yeah, definitely. Like, Marquez looks happy. Marquez looks like he hasn't got a care in the world at the moment. He's been living it up as, you know, their now four-time top-flight champion. Um, he's been on TV. He's done the press rounds. He looks happy. Again, all the interviews on the bike suggest that he's very happy with how things have gone. There's not, There's no talk of difficulties or being conservative this year. Like, they seem happy right out of the gate. And... Like and I've looked at the testing. I've looked at the long run times. He is as fast as anybody out there still. And I and knowing Marquez, he's probably got something in reserve still. I don't think he has to go out of his way or be you know, be super fast um, um, at the moment. I don't think he has to go down that road. I think he he can just get on with it, run for his program, see how things are. And, you know, he'll he'll turn up the wick next weekend at Qatar, and I think he'll be in the mix for, for, for victory for sure. So I don't think Marcus has got anything to worry about. I think the rest of the field has got something to worry about because I think for the first time in a long time, Marcus hasn't had a shit-off season to worry about. Yeah, looking at um, the big decisions that were posed, or the big questions that were posed of Repsol Honda over the winter, one of them was the key change at the top, Livio Supo departing the team, essentially deciding that he'd achieved all he wanted to achieve with that team and he wanted a new challenge. Um, so he departed. They replaced him with Alberto Pooch, 
uh, who has had a history of friction with Danny Pedrosa, which might answer the question as to why his contract hasn't been signed yet um, for next season. Yeah. Um, and also with not so much Mark Marquez, but with the Mark Marquez um, clan led by Emilio Alzamora. Um, so that was perhaps the main reason to talk out or talk down a Honda title charge this season was the harmony between Marquez and Pooch. The fact that Mark Marquez has signed a two-year extension before the season's even started, have those fears already been allayed? I think to a degree they have. Like, again, like, there's no reason to, I think, to be sceptical going in. Like, like for Honda, it's been business as usual. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't see any reason to worry. Marquez clearly would, like, if Marquez has signed a two-year extension already, then I don't think he's got any reason to worry. Um, I think he'll be fine going forward. I don't think it's going to be a major problem for him. I think he's a professional, and I think Marquez, Marquez has had to deal with worse shit than this, a team boss that he doesn't necessarily like. He's had more pressing problems on and off the track to deal with in his MotoGP career to date. If he signed a deal that early, I don't see any reason for him to worry. I think getting that tie down was Honda's top priority. Red Bull's top priority is one of their athletes. Um, so yeah, I think it totally makes sense. So I think, yeah, I, I think that, uh, there's a lot to look forward to with that. And I don't see any reason why Marquez would be worried. I think, I think it's business as usual at Honda. And their team and their, their package look a lot stronger even than last year where they were outstanding as the year went on. Mark Marquez winning six races, Pedroza winning another two, um, to go with that. Um, but we've seen Crutchlow competitive all through the winter. We've already touched on Pedroza and how strong he's looked. Um, and as I mentioned earlier on, we've seen Honda's topping preseason speed charts, which is very, very rare. Um, which means Indeed. that it appears as if that Honda is getting out of corners and getting onto straights better than it did last season, which essentially means, Dre, that the big weakness of that bike has been improved no end, which is a big worry again for the competition. They, they legitimately lost races on that lack of acceleration, on, on you know photo finishes and sprints to the line. That was a big problem. They're getting getting that corner and exit speed. Um, so God, um, yeah. Like if if they if they're topping speed traps now, that means they've probably solved a lot of their corner exit problems and their acceleration issues. So if that's the case, um, look out because um, if Honda solved their biggest problem, then then, then where else are they going to have issues? They are so fast. Yeah, they're looking looking very very strong, indeed. Um, that covers all 24 riders then as far as uh, the 2018 MotoGP season is concerned. And to ask the most predictable question of the night uh, with perhaps the most predictable answers, because I think we both have the same answer, Dre. Who's your world champion? MM93. Yeah, I think we're agreed on that. I think we're both expecting Mark Marquez uh, to win it this season. Um, in terms of the season as a whole, though, I mean, we're, naturally at the start of the MotoGP season, we're, we're so excited about how it's going to go. And, Last season was so competitive, was so open. We saw so many different riders on the podium um, and not as many different winners as we did in 2016, but um, as many exciting races. Surely there's every reason to suggest that MotoGP in 2018 is going to be every bit as competitive and as exciting as it was last year. Yeah, I mean, again, testing times, everybody was so, so close together. Every Again, like the, the, like I, I don't know about half the layup of this field going forward. Um, we, we've still got like, a lot of grid spots still to confirm as well. So, like, there is a lot still up in the air. And again, like, I can't wait for Qatar because Qatar is one of those is one of those races where it tends to be very close up the front. Um, 
So I can't wait to see what's going to happen. Like, there is so much to look forward to. The excitement is still brimming off of last season alone. And I, 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 I go into Qatar thinking there could be six or seven guys who could challenge for the victory. You don't get that in many motorsport series these days. So, I mean, I'm really, really looking forward to seeing how that plays out. And it is just one week away. The 2018 MotoGP season starts next weekend uh, in Qatar under the lights. Um, MotoGP will be taking place at night as it has done since 2008. Moto2 and Moto3, though, will not. Um, there has been a schedule change to the uh, Qatar Grand Prix based on the last few years. It has been a four-day event um, in the last few years, mm. essentially a way of trying to get all of the dry, all the track time in under dry conditions for the dew point, um, for the dew falls in Qatar, but also to make sure it takes place at night. They've essentially done away with that this year. Moto2 and Moto3 are going to take place in the daytime, and then MotoGP will essentially start just as the sun goes down, um, which solves a problem in one respect, in that if it rains again um, this time, they'll have a much more uh, bigger time window to try and fit a race in um, if they need mm. to delay it. Although they did test in wet conditions at Qatar last week, it was still inconclusive as to whether that was um, doable or not if the race was actually to take place in those conditions. As far as Moto2 and 3 are concerned, we will preview both of those classes in full next week on Bike Live. Um, so keep an eye out for that um, as we look at the final Moto2 season to take place under Honda Power uh, before Triumph coming in 2019. Plenty of variables in that with the dominant Moto3 champion Joan Mia moving up into Moto2, bringing championship runner Romano Fanati with him. Um, we'll also have Alex Marquez looking to go um, that next step and win a title this year. The KTM challenge of Oliveira, Binder, Sam Lowe's. Um, will one of those take the title? Will Francesco Bagnaia move up to MotoGP as intermediate class champion? Um, we'll discuss all of those issues next week on Bike Live and look ahead to what is always an absolutely batshit crazy and thrilling Moto3 class, um, which perhaps this season could be as open as ever with the champion of last year, Joan Mir, moving up. Is it Aaron Canet's title to lose? Uh, we'll discuss that next week on Bike Live. Between now and then, though, Episode 126 of Motorsport 101 comes next week. And this one is the Formula 1 season review. I know you're all keeping your excitement well and truly under control. And Dre, that includes you. Yeah, it's going to be a whole 16-minute preview. It's going to be great. Um, like, will Lewis Hamilton win? Yes, probably. How many races would he win? Yeah, I don't know, maybe all of them. Um, we will try to manufacture some level of enjoyment to try and talk to you guys about the 2018 Formula 1 season. And the guys will probably never be trying to get me to believe that Sebastian Vettel has a shot at this year's title. Well, Dre, he, he did a 117-1 today. Shut your <laughs> mouth. <laughs> We're not doing this. Um, so episode 126 of Motorsport 101 will be with you around this sort of time next week. It's, uh, it's going to be our Formula 1 season preview. Do try to enjoy it. Yeah, It's going to be a very, very exciting time here on Motorsport 101. Formula 1 season preview next week as well as a Moto2 and Moto3 um, season preview. And by the time you hear from us next here on Bike Live, the MotoGP season will very much be upon us. We look forward to seeing what it delivers. Can Aprilia bite back after a disappointing 2017? Will KTM continue their rise up the ranks? Will Suzuki go again after disappointing in 2017? Can Ducati finally earn themselves that title that they've been longing for since Casey Sona left the team? Will Movistar Yamaha put a disastrous 2017 behind them and will this be the year that Valentino Rossi finally reaches title number 10 or will Repsol Honda have something to say about that will this finally be the year of Danny Pedrosa's MotoGP coronation or will Marc Marquez be the man to beat once again all of those questions will be answered over the next seven months and we look forward to answering them with you we look forward to your company next week 
here on Bike Life for episode 50. We look forward to your company then. Bye for now.